tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Good morning. Welcome along to Tip Today. 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. Won't cost you anything to make that call. And Emma is looking after the programme today. Um, 1800-938-007. You can text and WhatsApp. 083 You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Now, coming up on this morning's show, International Women's Day and uh, the Women in the Home referendum. We'll be talking about that in just a few moments' time. Some major issues with litter and dumping across the county, and this follows on to what we were talking about yesterday on the programme. What age should a child be before entering a changing room all by themselves? Should all restaurants be obliged to serve vegan food? Ellie joins us from uh, Tus uh, Thurlis for the Games Fla and the Marty Party after 11. Marty Morrissey will be with us live. And uh, we have gardening today. And we always urge you, if you have a gardening query, will you log it with us as soon as you can, please? And that's uh, 083 311 Now, the Marty Party is coming to Limerick uh, for the first time ever to the University Concert Hall there on this coming Friday at 8. And uh, we have a pair of tickets to give away on the show every single day, and that's based on your interaction with us by text and WhatsApp. And if you put the Marty Party at the end of your contribution, we'll be aware then that you want to be included in our draw. Now, a referendum on uh, gender equality and removing a constitutional reference to a woman's place being in the home will be held in November. The referendum has been announced following recommendations from the Citizens' Assembly on Gender Equality and the Special Joint Oireachtas Committee on Gender Equality last year. Joining me now to discuss this is Maura Barrett, who is branch librarian with Cashel Library. And also, of course, the library is hosting Manaw Month at the library as part of International uh, Women's Day. And uh, Maura joins me now. Good morning, Maura. Good morning, Fran. Happy um, International Women's Day. And Benny, happy International Women's Day to you as well. What do you make of the day, first of all, in light of the celebrations you're going to be having at the library? How important is it, Maura? Oh, it's it's just an amazing day. It's an amazing day that we actually have internationally a day that recognises women um, and recognises the achievement of women. Um, and I feel so privileged that I live in a time that we can celebrate in such a way. However, as we know, we have not achieved equality yet. Um, we're a long way off, um, but it is wonderful that we can celebrate it. And it's especially wonderful that we can celebrate it after, you know, the last couple of years and the global pandemic, which I think women carried, you know, they carried on their backs all of the struggles, keeping their families together, you know. Um, so it's lovely to be able to have that celebration. Is um, it important, do you think, Maura, and again, this plays into your expertise of historical events and all of that, is it important that we look to the women of the past as well, who had who had to make it, I suppose, in even more difficult times and in times where women were, were cast aside and thought of as second-class citizens? Well, I think, 
I mean, I think you've you've nailed it there exactly. Uh, what you you and you, except you say women were thought of as second class citizens. We will always have inequality when women are thought of as second class citizens. And unfortunately, whatever age you live in, history and her story show us that women have always been cast as the second class citizen. Um, even in today's world, where we have you know in inverted commas equality, we still experience that sense that in every walk of life where we are the second class citizen and that's unfortunate but that's the reality women before you know women in time past did fight the fight you know you had women of suffrage and they you know for their time suffered awful inequalities and stood up against it and women always have in history and and I think will continue to do and you know, when you look to the uh, inequality of the times that we're living in now. What do, what do you see? What do you look to most? Well, I mean, certainly, you know, I mean, one that springs to mind for me, um, you know, straight away is um, is domestic violence. You know, that is something that is there in in epidemic proportions in our society. I, I remember referred there to the COVID pandemic. I remember, you know, we were all at home. We were all mm. cocooned. Yeah. We could, we could, you know, that there was all these media kind of stories about the latest with the pandemic. We all had to stay at home. And then the next stories were all about the women who had to get away from domestic violence and could they travel? Could they travel beyond the two kilometres? You know, that that was what dominated the media headlines. We live in 2023. This should not happen. You know, it just mm. should not happen, but it does. Um, mm. And, you know, that is there. And, we, you know, we need to start facing it. We need to start naming it. And, we we and have a situation in this country where we have 22% of women represented in the door. I think we're, we're something like the lowest in Europe. I mean, it's a scandalous statistic, and um, you know and we what, are what a first world country. What do you put that happen. down? What do you put that down to, Maura? Because essentially, to be honest with you, it mightn't be popular to say so, but I'm not sure that women support women. I mean, why aren't women voting for the women who are put forward on panels? Like that—that that argument is just, you know, uh, you know that argument is not an argument. Women, women, we exist in a system that's patriarchal. We don't exist in a system that is equal. We are all equal, just different. We all have different skills and different mm. things to bring to the table. But the systems that are out there are very patriarchal. And we do not build into our system enough support for women, for them to take part in politics, for example. Right, but what about those who put themselves forward and they mightn't get elected um, and which, therefore, uh, women aren't supporting them? How do you... Like, you say... You, you throw out a bland statement like women aren't mm. supporting them. So straight away you have blamed women for women not being elected. No, but I'm just saying not enough women are supporting women. Do you, do you not go along with that, Maura? I... I what I what I am saying is women, you know, women need to be supported to be elected, but women also need to be supported to support women to be elected. And like I I don't see too many women's names coming in on my voting card, number one. Mm. In order for me to, to support them. Mm. You know. 
we do, and we don't have women across all systems. Women women are also paid less than men. You know, I think there's women or men in Ireland, on average, receive twelve and a half percent more payment than than we do, mm. and that's for those of us that work. Um, so we, you know, we are already starting at a disadvantaged place. We have that burden. So in order for us to be able to go out in the world and get ourselves selected, if that's what we so choose. You know, we 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 had. Um, I think it was last year or the year before. We had the first woman who was able to go out on maternity leave in the dog. Mm. Mm. You know that. You know that is just scurrilous. That would that is something a benefit that men enjoy without thinking about. And women carry the burden of family because the systems aren't there to support them. You know, I, I, women and women's careers are affected by by. By that, the lack and, of that, they and, don't and, because and they're the ones that play, stay yeah, at home. Let me play devil's advocate on it for you because I mean it's important that we discuss this in a in a kind of a way that's kind of out there as well. If you have, as we had, a minister who is in place for five years, and uh, if that minister is a woman, and if maternity leave is necessary within that five year period, or maybe a couple of times within that five year period. What about the position that she's holding then, if it's an extremely important portfolio? What, what do you say to that, more? if within a five-year period that there, there's maternity leave? I, I'm, not, I'm not getting your point, Sam, at all. Well, well, within You're the saying fi- that because she has an important portfolio and she's gone out maternity leave. Uh, absolutely. If it's, her- if, it's a, if it's a country... I mean, should this not be discussed in some sort of a way? I mean, would you educate me on that? I, th- I think that's pure and utter nonsense. Do you? The woman is is totally capable of carrying out her role, and she is no less capable of carrying out her role because she has given birth. Of of course, but while she is on maternity leave, you cannot expect her to be carrying out a role that involves such complexity and such time-consuming. So, I mean, you can't expect that. You can build in supports to support her to do her role. And are those supports there? Are you convinced they're there? well, I think they should be there and they ought to be there and they are there in some places and in more places not. Right. You know, there is not a, a, a equity in it. Yes. You know, and like nobody, like men, you forget are fathers too and equal in the parenting, you know, obligation and role. And, you know, we need to support men to take on the roles of fathering and parenting their mm. children, you know, so that their wives and partners can produce in society in the same way that they can. And right. that, you know, we should not we should not even be saying stuff like, you know, can a woman do can a woman do her job because she's given birth? I mean that is so insulting to a woman mm. to hear. You know, I, I would say to anybody who says that to me, how dare you? You know, because I know what I do every day. Right. And I know what I'm capable of as a woman, as well, all women Why do. would it be insulting? You see, this this troubles me, Greg. Why would it be insulting to have a discussion about something more, you know? Are we going no, to... No, a discussion the, 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 is fine. Yeah. It's fine. But, it, you know, it is... It, it's, it's a patronising, archaic argument. But, but it's not an argument, it's a discussion to see, to tease out these things and maybe to put them out. I, I think there's too much sort of, I don't know, nodding of heads and stuff without people speaking openly. 
So, yeah, no, but I mean, but like putting uh, putting you know red herrings out into the arena for discussion. What? You know, it's just it's a futile exercise. It's a waste of time. Talk about the real issue. Talk about the issue of supporting women in every way possible to to bring their talents to the world. And has there not been a beginning, at least, where that... There has been a beginning. Yes, there are slow steps. Mm. There has been a beginning. You know, there has been a beginning. And that that's my point. There, it, we are not there yet. And I it, think we're something like it'll be another couple of generations. And in terms of changing the constitution then, and do you know what's interesting? For, have you read uh, 41.2 or have you read I have, yes, yeah. I have. It's kind of interesting. I hadn't read it until the last couple of days. And some of the wording, I agree with you, is like really, really strange indeed. But but there is one part of it that says that the state shall therefore endeavour to ensure that mothers shall not be obliged by economic necessity to engage in labour to neglect uh, to the neglect of their duties in the home. Now, I wasn't aware that that was uh, the wording of that. But even if you were to accept that archaic wording, the state has fallen down on that anyway. Yeah, completely. Um, but, but you know, the state has fallen down on a lot of things. There's nothing new in that. Um, you know, that the language in that is very gendered, you know. Like, you know, it, 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 it's also not equal in that mm. it doesn't mention give fathers the equal right, you yes, know. There's no mention of it at all. There's no, yeah. So, right. I mean, that is very gendered and so there is an inequality. Right. He's done an inequality. And have you any concerns, more about what wording will replace that? I mean, whether it's non-gender specific or whatever, but we have to be very careful of what will replace that too, have we not? Yes, we do. And, we, you know, we have systems in place that, that we have to trust and allow to come up with the wording. You know, I know the Citizens Assembly are working on it. And, I mean, it needs to be less gendered. It needs to be less archaic. Um, you know, I mean, I think the original argument was that it would be removed totally. Um, you know, that there is a process in place, but we do need to have that referendum. You know, it, it isn't, there is no place for something like that in our constitution in 2023. How do you think that referendum will go? Um, all I all I can say, friend, to that is that I hope good and sound and decent minds prevail and that people will sit back and think about it in its entirety and look, we've begun the process, yes. you know, We've begun the process and like everything and every small change that women have had to make throughout the decades, it's a beginning. Who knows where it goes? Will you tell me about your own uh, month of celebration, uh, Menasum in Cashel Diary? Because it sounds to me like you're going to have a, a marvellous month of, of events. Tell, tell me what's behind this and what's coming up more. So, um, in back in 2020, um, I got some funding from Creative Ireland to um, as a pilot project to to um, initiate a, a, a month long series of events that celebrated women um, during the month of March. Now, the reason I chose March was because International Women's Day falls on the eighth of March, and also because Mother's Day usually falls yeah. in March. 
And the notion was that it would become a staple across the library system. The libraries have a number of things, you know, that can be out in it. They celebrate creatives, you know, older people. You know, we have um, event months that celebrate children. We, You know, we, we are very, like, equality is one of the main tenets of what we do. Um so it was that that it would become a staple across the library system. And of course, um, you know, we were in full swing. And then on Friday, the 13th of March, we were all sent home because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And it was cut short. So I'm delighted that we've been able to reinstate it again this year. So we have um, we've picked the theme of a series of monosome events. Where we endeavoured to just have a celebration, um, and it, this year our theme, because we're post-pandemic, um, it's just that because we still have women, you know, who are coming into the library and it's their first time coming in in three years. Is that indeed? Even still, more. Even still. So the yeah. fear out there still. The fear it? and the dread, and you know, and health conditions mm. and care of family and selflessness that women do where they put others first um, and they, you know, are still coming in and beginning to tentatively take the first step of getting out there. And there's a real trauma going on in society, um, you know, of, you know, of getting out there and mixing again. We wanted to do it in a light-hearted, celebratory way where we celebrated women and we celebrate, you know, local women and mm. Tipperary women in particular. So um, so that's what we're doing. So Very we have good. a whole lot of, of lovely men and things going on. And uh, wh- who have you taking part in? I know lovely Una Healy is taking part, isn't she? Yeah. Yes, yeah. we have Una coming to us tonight. Um, we have a packed house. Um, Una, um, very, we're very proud to have asked Una. Una is a... A daughter of Tipperary, a uh, thirless lady, and she has had, you know, some amazing achievements in her life. Um, she was a champion swimmer at the age of nine. She, you know, she has several chart-topping successes with the Saturdays. She's hosted a couple of TV shows. She's got her own fashion line. Um, so we're really looking forward to talking to her tonight. Very good. Um, but you have a we, full house there, just in case people... We have a full house, your, yeah, we have a full okay. house, right. yeah. Mm. Now, we do have a whole load of other events coming up. Um, we have um, some writing workshops. We have some mandala making. We have Philip Quinn coming in doing, um, you know, sort of sculpting in ohm, writing on slate, mm. called Make Your Mark. We have. I, I. 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 do not have the thing with me. Is there a website that people can go to and just to see what's? If what's you go happening. to uh, Tipperary County Council Library website page, um, you'll see all of our events there. Very good. Indeed. Um, and if you want to ring in, um, oh six two six three eight two five, we'll be very glad to let you know what's going on. Right, and Emma will Things have that number at, at, yeah. at, at our office as well. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm delighted to see you have Melissa Hill there as well. Which is Melissa fantastic. Hill, yes. Yeah. Um, another local lady. Fantastic um, author, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and she's had some great success in that. Brilliant. Part One of her, um, something at Tiffany's book has been taken up by uh, 
uh, Reese Witherspoon's oh, right. um, company and it's going to be made into a Netflix series, I think. Or, so we're going to talk to her about that. Yeah. Excellent stuff. Well, Maura, we wish you the very, very best indeed with uh, Thank you, awesome at the library. And always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks, Maura. Thank, Thank you. you good, good morning Thank to you. you. Bye-bye to you now. That is Maura Barrett there, who's branch librarian in Cashel Library, 1800 938 Now, let's go to... Let me see where I am. Yeah, let's go to Helen. Helen, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed, and good to talk to you, Helen. Now, what's your take on... First of all, will we just talk about it being International Women's Day? Is yeah. is it a good thing, Helen? I think it is. Yeah. I think that because we... Especially as we're now living in a time of uh, gentrification and almost a wish to cancel female and male as being something wrong and that you can you all have, we all have to be non-binary I think it's very important to mark International Women's Day for shall we say people who identify as women Very interesting uh, take on stuff and what do you think is happening with all of this talk about uh, gender identity and stuff at the moment do you, do you think it's actually damaging feminism in some way Helen is that, is that what you're saying to me? I think what it's doing is it's damaging people overall because the minority is dictating to the majority. The way I look at it is if uh, somebody identifies as being non-binary or they're male but they identify as female, that is their business. And I specifically use the word they as instead of he or she. Uh, but don't dictate to me and tell me that I cannot identify as a woman, that I can't say she. And it's not necessary for me to say person with a cervix because I don't have one. I had a full hysterectomy. Does that make me a nothing? <laughs> you know? Right. And, and what, is, what is the other one as well that calls concern? Is there a person who is pregnant? Oh, that's a, such a bizarre one too. Yeah. A person is pregnant. That's what it is. They're with child. Uh it's, it's this whole thing of almost looking for areas in which to be insulted and then try to reinvent it. What about opportunities that are there now, Helen? Maura was making the point there, and she made her point very eloquently as always, but is saying that there's a long way to go for women. Do you, do you go along with that? I do. Uh, we are hearing more and more again about the gender pay gap and that 48% of companies actually admitted that their male their male uh, staff get a higher bonus than their than women over 22% and that overall at the end of January 2023 there was a pay gap of 5.6% between male and female in favor of the male wow so, so that that, that really needs to be addressed as far as you're concerned. I think so. I believe in equal pay for everyone. Right. And, uh, How do you feel about, uh, you know, as they call it, positive discrimination where gender is concerned, that, you know, women getting jobs because they're, they're women? Um, how do you feel about that, Helen? Is, that drives it, me nuts. Does it? It does. And I was just listening earlier on there when you were speaking about... Um, the, the Doyle and the number of female TDs mm. who have been elected. Mm. And my take on this is that when I look at my ballot paper, if I think a particular woman deserves my vote, she will certainly get it. But if I think a man can do a better job, he'll get my vote. I will not vote for somebody based on their sex. I will vote on their performance. 
And do you think most, well, let me ask you, I mean, in your circle of friends, most of the women you know, Helen, would they look at it in the same way or would they say, well, it's a woman, we need more women, let's vote for a woman? No, they're more or less on the same thinking pattern. So it's whoever's the better person for the job. Yeah, exactly. Because it's crazy. Why would you pick somebody who will do a less effective job than another candidate who will perform better and uh, produce uh, better results? And that can be picking a male over female or female over male, whichever way. But to do it for, um, to, to satisfy a statistic or a ratio is wrong. I, if you remember back in, oh God, I've forgotten the year, but in South Tipperary, when we were having our um, nominations for general election, mm. Sinn Féin were told, you have to pick a female candidate. Well, in, and in that case, it was Kieran McCormick was picked to run for the general election. Of course, but, although but in there fairness, was a very uh, strong male contender well, in line, he was course. not allowed to go forward. That's sexist. Right, but but you know yourself that uh, political parties are under an obligation to put in a, a certain um, percentage of women. Um, you know, so they're they're obliged to do that. And you know, there's this gender quota. Yes. But it caused a lot of a lot of unrest. Sure, and I'm, I'm sure it's not yeah. just that incident. I'm sure it will be all over the country and in other situations, not just in elections uh, as well. But could I put something to you, Helen? That's very interesting. If you were a man, and if you were making those very points to me, there yeah. would be war. There would be war. And here is the other thing I was thinking when I was making that point, that if the gender quota said you cannot put a woman forward, it has to be a man, there would have been war. Right. Now, you know the argument against that you'll get is that, well, that's all fine and very well, but there's been such discrimination against women for generations that we have to try and make up for that as quickly as possible. So that's how you might justify uh, positive discrimination for women. Well, I suppose, yes, you have a point there that there, that is an attempt to do that. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying what the yes. counter-argument would be, yeah. No, but, you, you know, that makes sense as well, mm. but I'd still stick with um, the best candidates should be picked regardless of whether they're male, female or non-binary. Right. Even if that means that a woman doesn't get the gig. Even if that's the yes, if yeah. it's okay. the better candidate, that's okay. the way I look at it. That if you were going to hire somebody to uh, represent you in the mu- in music, Fran, yeah. right? Yeah. And you saw a male and a female, and the male was actually far better, but you have to push to think, oh, I better pick one because uh, society will judge me. Well, it's happening in national broadcasting at the moment. I mean, I'm uh-huh. not going to I'm not going to name names, but I mean. You know, there are decisions being made and I would question them just... To, and I'm not into gender. I, I'm just saying just in terms of who the better broadcaster might be. You know? Yeah, I agree with you. I was been reading about that too across yeah. the media and I've been thinking, why are these people... And there's been women being picked to, to, to kind of get the balance right. Now, having said that, looking across the media and the radios, most... Uh, Radio program presenters are men. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, and even uh, and here's a shot to plan. Most of the presenters on Tip FM are men. Yeah, yeah. 
And and why is that? Is it because the better candidate has been picked? Is it because enough women haven't put themselves forward? Well, I'm not well, going in, to in judge case, to FM on this. But, but in case of people like myself, we've just been around for so bloody long, they can't they can't they can't get rid of us. I just think, Frank, you're going to have to be carbon dated. <laughs> I'm beginning to think you could be right about that. But I do take your point, and I mean, you know, but but there you go then. So if a company like Tip FM are making a decision on a broadcaster, should they go for somebody who is a woman or should they go for a better candidate? You see, you know, according to you, they should go for the better candidate. Yes. Right. And I can't, you see, and I can't believe that the better candidate will always be me. Of course, of course. Yeah. Of course, yeah, for, for certain. Um, I'm just looking at the article in the Constitution as well. Um, how do you feel about the change to that? And I, I read out one of the lines to Helen there where it's uh, to um, tomorrow. Uh, Endeavour to ensure that mothers shall not be obliged by economic necessity to engage in labour to neglect uh, uh, their duties in the home. Um, oh. That will be changed. Um, have we to be careful how we change the article in the Constitution, do you think? Yes, I think so. I know initially the idea had been just to throw it out altogether. Yes, I know. Yeah. Uh, which would be a disaster. Now, the wording of that is archaic, but as you pointed out, Bran, the Constitution, the part of the Constitution is being ignored completely anyway. Yeah, because the state has not endeavoured to ensure that women would not be obliged to, to seek work. Because a lot of women, some extremely bright women that I know, they would like an opportunity to stay at home. They, they certainly would. But by economic necessity, they can't, they can't do so, you know? No, because they can't afford to do so. Uh, the way, but you see, the wording of that oh, makes my brain burn a little, neglecting their duties at home. Yeah, I know. Uh, I think maybe the wording should be, it should be reworded and maybe as carers. Yeah. Think about what that can do for all carers. Absolutely, a very good idea. It would be all-encompassing, and it's non-gender, and it's uh, and it takes in so many people. Look at the way our carers around the country are being treated anyway, and they're being made to feel that they have to try and care for their loved one at home and get out to work, whereas if it's enshrined in the Constitution that they have a right to stay at home, and that they will be looked after by the state, and that's important. I think we now have a new situation and a far more um, inclusive one. Helen, you make your points excellently as always, and happy Thank International you. Women's Day to you as well. Thanks for talking to me. Thank Helen. you. And keep the women in your life happy, Fran. <laughs> I do my very, very best. That could be a tough order, I can tell you. But thanks, thanks, Helen. Thank You're you. You're welcome. Thank you, Fran. Bye-bye. 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 1800 The text on WhatsApp is 83 Big response to this, and I'll come back to it in just a moment. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Okay, I have a feeling that a can of worms has been opened here. Um, look, let me bring you some of what's coming into me and, and, and make what you will of it. Then. Um, one of our listeners, but the trouble is, I'm not sure if this is a man or a woman saying this. Hi, Fran, women don't support women enough. It's mostly women who put down other women. I've heard it myself between body shaming and mother shaming. I think in an ideal world, women's view would be great. But what about the new mother who's under pressure already? and is expected to continue their paid job while on maternity uh, leave. Yeah, and 
you know, at the risk of causing a row, I go along with that. I, I think women can be really, really destructive to other women. And I see it myself in the music business. I, I think in the music business, women have a much, much more difficult time than men trying to get to the top. And one of the reasons is because of a lack of support from, from women uh, customers and women punters. Now, you can make what you will of that, but it's an absolute, it's an absolute uh, fact. Anyway, for now, let's go on to something else. We will go back to that. But uh, our listen, Louise spoke to us about the massive litter problem we have in Tipperary. She spoke to me on the programme yesterday. Now, it sparked a lot of messages and photographs from our listeners, and Eddie was in touch with his concerns. Good morning to you, Eddie. Morning, Frank. Good to talk to you today, Eddie. What about your concerns about litter? What are you seeing out there, Eddie? We're going talking rubbish again this morning. <laughs> I, am, I am at this. Anyway. Uh, no, every, it's just, you know, I pick litter on a regular, fairly regular basis, like in... There was that lady was on yesterday about the road out towards Knockerville and Dundrum. Yes. Well, two or three weeks ago, if she had to come over our neck of the woods here and travel from Ballinure to Horse and Jockey, she could have actually furnished her house. So, kitchen chairs and... and uh, just, I'm not making up this. Are you serious, chairs. Eddie? I'm quite serious, yeah. Uh, uh, Adam chairs, cushions, you know, and, and just... I can't, I just can't understand from Adam, like, the mentality. A lot of it, I'd say a lot of the stuff that I saw on the road, like, was, was meant to, normally when there's a job done on the side of the road with drains and stuff, they tend to leave a bank outside, right? There's a bank of clay left outside, and that, that's a breeding ground for throwing rubbish. Because every time you look in over the bank, like, all around where I'm living here, the same way, there's nothing on the side of the road very much, just a little bit. If you look in over the bank, you'll find bags of rubbish. And the new the new trend the new trend now is they're not they're not throwing the I was speaking to farmers, they're not throwing the rubbish on the side of the road very much anymore. They're turned in over and they're going into the farmers' places. So obviously a farmer then has to clear all of that out or get it cleared or Well it's down to there's a, a quarry down the road from me here, Lurger Quarry, like and it's you'll have to see it now. There's no point in trying to explain to you. You'll have to see I dumped down there. Right, but this is deliberate. This isn't flinging stuff out the window of the car. This is somebody deciding, okay, I have to get rid of this furniture. I'm going to go to such and such a place, um, whether it's near Ballinure or whatever, and dump it there. They, they wouldn't do They couldn't do that. And in the past, I give you a kind of an array of what I picked up in the past. I picked up uh, electric irons, uh, small fridges, uh, microwaves, small televisions. Uh, ladies' high heels, uh, children's clothes, uh, packets from rashers and sausages, empty, of course, uh, full loaves of slice, slice pans, full, complete, not even opened. And do you clean up the area, Eddie? I, I, I do. I, I, I did, I'd say, but I'm still at it a bit, but it's so disheartening. Like to, I, I'd walk a mile ground, I'd fill three or four bags, and one of the days I travelled towards Ballinure and the entrance to, to uh, John Hanley's place there. I was after doing all that. And on the way back, I found two Lucasade bottles on the middle of the road just after being thrown out. After I doing it, like, some car passed, or a number of cars would be passing, you wouldn't know who they'd be, but the two bottles were actually on but the middle. Tell me how you feel about that, because I've often made this point. When People who do what you do, I don't know how you don't go insane with, with, with oh. temper and frustration. 
Did somebody tell you I wasn't going to say anything? <laughs> but, <laughs> no, but, it, but it is disheartening and disrespectful. Very, very much so. Like, but my, my way of thinking, look, I'll just keep at it, you know, and maybe someone along the line I can say, well, but yes, the morning before yesterday, what day is today, Wednesday, mm. Monday morning I went to drive out from my premises here, like, and I had to go outside the gate and pick up a glass bottle that was thrown out, a cider bottle, a green cider bottle, which was in lumps and bits outside my gate. I, I couldn't drive out. I had to pick it all off the road before I could go out. No, who I found bags of bottles on the side of the road, in drain, bags of beer bottles. You know, it's it just, I don't know how, I, I can't understand from Adam the, the mentality of people. Well, there's, there's bottle banks now everywhere, and you know, there's... There's, plenty of, there's, there's no need to, to, I mean, I picked up, I didn't pick them up because it, it was pointless, the birds that do it, but bags would, would uh, peeling some potatoes and carrots and stuff like that. You know, you, 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 you're frustrating as it may be. You have to laugh at the mentality of people that are doing that. And in the years that you've been picking up other people's rubbish, Eddie, has it gotten worse recently or, or what? Uh, well, it, it's basically the same. And it's not just here. I, I travel on roads and the fact that I'm doing the thing, I tend to see all these things along. So any road you'll travel you'll find the same between here and Killinaldra, actually. I, the whole place is... I think they could have cleaned it recently, I'm not sure. But by to the credit to anyone, the mist was there. And what happens if it's not cleaned on a regular basis? If you, if you... I do a walk once a week, maybe. It's not too bad. But if you leave it go for a month and you don't pick it naturally enough, you're going to have an accumulation of, of stuff like this when it's not picked. So, what... what? can we do? I mean, have you thought about this, Eddie, in terms of how we can address this in some way? Well, there's a few that I've, I've thought about it, but I don't have any answers. But yeah. the thing about it is, what I find is go, go to Douala and head on for Cashel. I can tell you how long a bag of chips will last when you buy it in Cashel. Or how long a burger will last. Because, because it's, it's thrown out after a certain amount of time. Or on the road somewhere out near Douala. My God. Oh, it's, it's just appalling. Like, but I don't know how you... Years ago, like, they have these uh, different con plastic containers and everything else. But years ago, and you'll remember it, like, you're old enough to remember, but... Thanks for got, that, Eddie. You got, you got your crisps, like, it's your chips in, 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 a, in a bit of paper. Yes. A newspaper. But I would have a chance to a bit of newspaper if it gets wet or damp, because you find a biodegradable thing that like, will go, mm, but yeah. it won't. Spoons. I, on, the, on the road, I picked up... Plastic like, spoons. It, Plastic spoons, uh, knives, uh, forks, packets of, of uh, tomato sauce, packets of, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. I just don't know. But I keep, I, we keep going anyway. Um, well, I, I admire you greatly for what you do, Eddie, because I would be just too cross all the time uh, to, to to clean up a place and then find literally as I walk past, they they, they do it again, you know. Yeah, like I said, coming back from Ballinure, I was only gone probably less than a half an hour and I come back there was two they weren't flattened on the middle of the road if they were I'd say I maybe missed them or mm, something Yeah, but they were just only bottles they were just I, I know friends of mine pick them as well like and on a number of occasions people passed in cars and they have a laugh like over it they, they stop like and say have a bit of a laugh over it like kind of not so sure whether they were doing it or not like but I mean I, I just don't know if, if our um, little country is destroyed like do you think so Eddie? Destroyed, like our 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 sense of of of, of you know, I, I don't know what it is. I just don't know what it is. Like 
or an end. Or pride, pride of place. Yeah, and all pride that, of right. place is, is just gone. Now, now the thing, another thing about it was, you, you'd often wonder, often I, if I found a bag of something, I'd go through it, right? And I found receipts from shopping centres outside the area. Like, let's say I had done the pick today, I found receipts that had yesterday, they were bought yesterday in wherever. Mm. The, the day after, there could be uh, clothes hangers, you know, there could be anything, there would be anything new in the naturally enough. Like, but the receipt was there with the shops was bought in, and the, the, the previous day. My God. Eddie, thank you so much for coming on with us and highlighting that, Eddie. And thanks for all the work you're doing as well. That's, uh, that's, no, that's, that's it's so a labour of love. Like, yeah. We just keep at it. All right. <laughs> thanks, Eddie. Good morning to you. Bye-bye to you now. That's Eddie there speaking about his experience. Let's go to an old friend of the show. Tommy Barrett is chairman of Moyne Road and Bellevue Residents Association and local activist, of course, in uh, Thurlis. And he joins me now. Good morning to you, Tommy. Morning, friends. Tommy, you did a clean-up recently around the railway field there. What what did you find? How bad was it? Yes, and I suppose it's, it's terrible. Many people would, would know the railway field is just next door to um, Scalalva, the primary yeah. school. Um, it was terrible, friend. I suppose it came up at a tiny town's meeting um, a few weeks ago, and we said we'd tackle it. And we, we got some of the CBS Thurlis um, TY students involved, and seven of them came up last Wednesday with myself and... We had plenty of bags and pickers and gloves and high-vis jackets, but we didn't really realise till we went up to the bank of the railway field where people are walking past, um, going up the bridge, how bad it was. Um, there was over 30 bags of rubbish collected, uh, Fran. Um, we didn't realise till we were actually inside the railway field how, how bad it was. And we, we, we were all laughing and shocked as well at what, what was there, you know. Like, um, like like what? What did you find? So what I found was quite surprising was, you know, the, the must-make bags that people that dispensed around the county, um, full bags of, of dog poop um, collected and just thrown over the wall. That was one thing that kind of shocked me. To someone, fair enough, they collected it up, but didn't bring it home. They threw it over the wall into the railway field. But the trouble is they're throwing a plastic bag, which is not biodegradable, so they'd be better off to leave the poo there almost from an environmental point of view. That, that's just crazy, isn't it? It is, and then there's people, it looks like, who are throwing full full bags of uh, black bin bags of, of cans and, and, and rubbish over the wall, household rubbish. And then there's, you know, the general thing of drink cans and, and things like that. O- over 30 bags of, of rubbish was collected there in, in two hours uh, work, work friend, you know. But in the middle of the town, so it definitely is, um, talk about these litter black spots. And Tommy, you've been doing this for a long time. Is it getting worse? I, I never saw it as bad anyway, uh, the way we feel. I know over the years we've often arranged with CBS Torres to clean it up and things like that. And uh, the Torres local council then came on the next day and collected it all up and took it away for us, you know, so that was a big job done. Even things like, you know, dirty duvets thrown over the wall and, and, and pillows and things like that, you know, where people are coming along, I don't know when, and just throwing it over the wall, you know. Um, yeah, and and you know, as an activist, you must have looked at this, Tommy. What needs to be done? What, how do you police this? Because you know, in fairness, now you, you can have all the wardens in, in in the world, but how do you police this happening late at night? It would be impossible, wouldn't it? It is, and I think um, the scheme that they're talking about coming in next year, I think it's going to be a big help. This deposit return scheme. Yes. Yeah. Um, that, that's supposed to come in next next year and I know that Would you just explain that that's where you get paid for bringing back a can or a bottle is it? It is so if you, yeah. if you had a, a 500 milliliter bo- a can or a bottle of coke yeah. there'd be, be, be a 15 cent levy put on that when you buy it Yeah. and when you bring it back to Aldi or Lidl or Super Value whatever it is um, you get that 15 cent back 
you, right. you don't. And from what you're seeing being dumped, would that make a huge difference? I think, I think it would, Fran. And right. they're saying 30, 30%, 30 to 40% of these cans and bottles aren't being recycled. They're being littered. Okay. And this, this incentive will encourage people to bring them back. And it, it, you don't have to be the person who bought it to bring it back. Right. That's, that's, a, big, that's so, a big thing. So people, young lads and young ones, could be going around scavenging, looking for these now to bring them back. So it might might help the overall uh, littering. That's, 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 I suppose, one of the main points of it, Fran. And yeah. they're saying in different countries where this is brought in, they're saying by February 1st, 2024, this thing is going to be fully oper- operational in Ireland. And I, I think definitely it will help, you know. Yeah. Well, hopefully so anyway. Um, how often do you do those clean-ups, Tommy? Um, we, we try now, I suppose, um, getting back up now for the summer. We try every week. I know last um, two weeks ago we done a cross on St. Patrick's Graveyard uh, yes. in Turles. Again, another litter of black spot where there's just drink cans and general dirt and, and rubbish uh, dumped in there, you know. And I know last week there was um, two men who who done down by the river walk. And then certain roads then, Fran, are very dangerous. Like out the middle road, if, if you're going to do a litter pick out there, it's, it's dangerous bringing people out there and expecting them to, to, right. to clean up. Tommy, so. I, I must leave it there, but thank you very much indeed for highlighting that. And again, to you and the people with you, Tommy, uh, thank you very much for what you do because, you know, it's it's very unfair that a couple of people have to clean up after such unscrupulous yahoos. But anyway, there you go. Thanks, Tommy. Thank you. Good morning to you. Uh, we'll have more for you in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now we've been talking about that referendum on gender equality and removing a constitutional reference to a woman's place being in the home. And of course, it's also International Women's Day and uh, Mother's Day, of course, coming up as well. Um, Margaret joins me now. Margaret, good morning to you. Good morning, Frank. How are you? I'm very well indeed, Margaret. You were listening to Helen and uh, Tamara earlier on with us. What what do you make of the discussion so far? I I could only agree with Helen completely. and gender equality is all very fine and all that, but, um, you know, you, you, the best candidate should definitely um, be the candidate, like, for any job. And do you think yeah. the fact now that uh, political parties have obligations to make a certain quota of women, do you think that's a bad thing, then? Well, I don't think it's a bad thing. Well, it is, it is if, if the best candidate is not put forward for the position. Definitely right. it's, it's bad. Yeah, it comes under positive discrimination, though. And I suppose their argument would be, well, look, for many years, women haven't had the opportunity to, you know, for political parties or whatever, and maybe now we need to discriminate in their favour. But you don't agree with that. Well, you can't discriminate in in someone's favour. That's that's discrimination in itself. Discrimination is discrimination, yeah. Yes, yes, it is, yes. Right. Yes, it should be on performance and... um, Suitability. Right. And can, can I drag you into the other part of the discussion, which is, do women support women? Is there enough support of women by women? Well, probably not. Probably mm. not, you know, because I suppose the greatest um, knockers of women are women, mm. in, you know, in... in uh, in higher jobs, mm. like, you know, that they are... Because Maura got a little bit cross with me when I made that... Uh, observation and uh, you know it's based on my own experience and only my own experience but I, I would say that that is the way it is It is the way it is it mm. is that you can I know you, it's not supposed to be the way it mm. is but unfortunately it is you can't change that and I don't think 
International Women's Day is going to make any difference to it either. You know what I mean? It's not. It, it, it's great and all, and they don't great to, to um, celebrate mm. uh, women and Women's Day. But I, I don't think it's, it's going to make a blind bit of difference. Yeah. So, do you not think a day like today then is is that useful? Do you do you think, Margaret? Ah, I think it's. I don't think it's really useful. No, to be honest with you. Do no, you not? No, yeah. no, no, no. It's it's grand and everything and talk about it, but. Uh, as they say, talk is cheap, but uh, actions are, are what's needed. Yeah. Uh, one of our listeners making a very interesting point, though, and uh, I'm paraphrasing here now because it's a rather long text, but saying that, you know, International Women's Day is fine and very well and all of that, but what about the fact that at home women are treated as second-class citizens? For instance, daughters uh, getting to do most of the housework and the brother is sitting there and he's getting the sandwich handed to him and all of this kind of thing, you know? And that, <laughs> yes. that is very real. I mean, you, real, we might yes, laugh at that, yes. but that is very real, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is real, yeah. Even you... Know, I, I, I'm a grandmother now of, of, da- of granddaughters and yeah. I do try to say, like, let's wives get up and do. But it is kind of... It's there on the same, you know? It's there in your... I suppose in the way I was... Or, yeah, you know, uh, yeah. To say that, um, yeah, definitely the boys would um, be, out, be sent out to bring in the turf or bring in, you know, and the girls would be told to do the wash up, you know, and uh, and definitely, yes, it is there, definitely. Right, and, and I really it's believe that's still alive and well. Oh, and I suppose the point yes, that the listener is. is making, Margaret, is that plays but, into what happens in society then to I some know degree, it does, you know? yeah, but you, uh, at least we are now aware more of it. Very and good, I I yes. Would, I would yeah. do. I would find myself about to do it and say, "Oh no, no, guys, you get up there and wash the dishes, you know, whatever, you know, mm. you know." And, um, definitely, it has changed. All right, a bit, but not like enough. Like, but it has definitely changed. And and what about the other point that Helen was making? That all of this talk and these um, discussions on gender identity and the like as well is yeah. maybe, it, it's not doing a lot for for the cause of women specifically. What, how no. do you feel about that? Um, oh, I don't know. I, the gender identity grand, like, you know, but it is just definitely veering too much towards, um, like I would not agree with children like um, maybe 11 or 12, being, you know, being allowed to do our gender, change their gender. Well, let them wait till they're 18 at least, you know, right. because... You know, children of 12 and 13, I don't know, they are... And how do you fa- feel about them being educated on trans issues in the schools, for example? Yeah, yeah, I... I yes, well, let them be educated about everything. I, I believe in being educated about everything. You know, know yes. about the things I write. Definitely know about them. But um, I wouldn't agree with it until they're at least 18. Actually, going about it, you know, if they were. All right, Margaret. Well, a happy International Woman's Day to you. you And and I hope that you'll be treated extremely well today, Margaret. Have they loads (laughs) of plans for you and all of that? Thank you very much, Brad. Good luck to you, Margaret. Bye bye to you. That's Margaret speaking to us today. News and information's on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Very welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today. 1800 We have those tickets to give away to the Marty Party that's happening at the University Concert Hall in Limerick this coming Friday. It sounds like it's going to be a great uh, night. We'll be speaking to Marty 
in the final hour of uh, the programme to find out what's going to happen on the night. But if you want to win some tickets to the great night out, well, uh, it's based on your interaction with us by text and WhatsApp. And if you put the Marty Party at the end of your contribution, we will pop you in to the draw. It's as simple as that. Yesterday, we spoke to Marinia Griffith, uh, the CEO of Belong To. That's the organisation representing LGBT uh, young people. And they've expressed disappointment at calls from the Catholic Primary Schools Management Association for children not to be taught about transgender issues. Now, the CPSMA has said uh, teaching primary uh, children what it means to be transgender would require to teach them something about which there is neither a scientific nor social consensus to highly impressionable young children. Well, Anita is a parent of a primary school child and joins me now. Anita, good morning to you. Hi, good morning, Fran. Uh, good. Thank you for having me on. Oh, you're very welcome indeed, Anita. Thank you for your time. Um, what do you make of that uh, critique of what the CPSMA are saying? Um, well, first of all, I think it's just moral panic. Um, I think there's an awful lot of scaremongering um, in society at the moment about trans people. Um, and I think this is just one step further. It's, it's moral panic. And I also think it's quite ironic but also hypocritical of the Catholic Primary School Managers Association to be discussing um, what should be taught in primary schools when it comes to scientific and medical consensus. Their actual quote from the letter said, we should not prematurely introduce children to complex and sensitive topics around which there is no scientific or medical consensus. Now, when we're talking about Catholicism being taught in schools, uh, the whole thing is, has no scientific or medical consensus. You know, the actual Catholic religion itself, you know, you're, you're, with regards to children in primary school, in Catholic schools, it's so complex what they're taught. Um, even just regarding the relationship between God, Jesus and the Holy Spirit in general, you know, trying to explain to five and six-year-olds what that means, trying to explain what they take literally and what's symbolic. You know, there's also Mary, Mother of God. How do you explain to a five, six, seven-year-old who knows nothing about sex, how do you explain to them what it means for Mary, who was a virgin, is a virgin, was always a virgin, but suddenly is pregnant with Jesus and explaining that Joseph is not the father? I mean, all of those, you know, forgetting about anything to do with LGBT rights, that in itself is extremely difficult and sensitive topic to be teaching young children. And that is not based on any scientific or medical consensus. So to, for them to write that write in their letter about discussing the existence of trans people and saying there's no scientific or medical consensus, I think is very hypocritical. But I'm, I think I'm sure the CPSMA would take a great umbrage at the notion of the comparison there, Anita, between, you know, their faith and yeah. maybe trans, issue, uh, trans issues. They, they might, well, I think this I'm sure they'd be very angry to. with you about that. They might be, and yeah. they, you know, if they, if they think that way, that's, that's fine. But we have to talk about what is faith and what is something that is factually here right in front of us. And trans people exist. It's not an ideology. It's not something that's pushed on people. Trans people are a type of person. Just like some people have white skin, some people have black skin, some people have dark hair, 
some people describe themselves as cis, meaning that they um, agree with the gender that they were assigned at birth. Mm -hmm. Some people don't, and that's just the fact of life. Trans people are here. They have been here for thousands of years. This isn't a new phenomenon. It's not something that, you know, the radical woke left have suddenly in, um, discovered or have suddenly invented. I mean, going back in time, thousands of years, trans people have been spoken about and written about in loads of texts, religious texts and non-texts. And actually, when we're talking about religion, because, you know, we have to talk about that because this letter did come from the... Um, from a religious organisation. Yes, the so Catholic Primary I'm, Schools uh, Association. Yeah. yeah, so that's mm. why I'm focusing on the religious side. But I mean, there's plenty of, of religions at the moment around the world that, you know, have um, uh, non-binary um, gods that they worship. Um, some religions, I think there's a form of Hinduism where they have six different genders. It's not just male-female. I mean, even, for example, in Greek mythology, where the actual word um, um, hepatitis comes mm -hmm. from, that you know, that you know, all of these words and discussions and um, talking about trans. This isn't something that just suddenly appeared from nowhere. You know, going back for, for thousands of years, trans people have been here. They've been in our society. What mm -hmm. has changed is society's view of trans people and depending on the society that we live in depends on how those people are viewed and, and how they're Anita, treated. Do you, do you think that society's view has changed because I mean you know I know it's not scientific but I'm just going about with what's coming into me here on text and WhatsApp over the last few weeks where we've been discussing these issues and I'd say 99% of people are sceptical about the notion that trans is in our headlines all of the time now. What do you mean by sceptical, sorry? Well, I, th I think that they don't see it as part of daily life for most people and they're no. very concerned no. that... And, and as a mother of a primary school child, child, how would you go about explaining trans to, to a child? I mean, you're in the perfect position to tell me this. Yeah, well, I mean, children are very open to learning about new things if it's explained in an age-appropriate way. And But you that's know, the thing, important... That's the important yeah. part, isn't it? Age appropriate. And that's something yeah. that needs to be reiterated. I know I, I listened to some of your your uh, John, you, who you had on yesterday, yes. and he was discussing about kids being kids. And you know, on some of your social media pages, I saw people saying, "Oh, we need to keep kids kids," and mm. you know, we can't open them up to these things. But this, what's important is that when this is is proposed to be taught through through the school curriculum, it's going to be taught in a very sensitive healthy and safe way and it's going to be taught by people who you know teachers who have had training in this and if anything it might be more appropriate in that setting than at home because some parents just mightn't have the language to talk to their kids about this they mightn't know anyone that's trans they might, mightn't have anyone in their family who's trans or that they know of they might never have met trans people and they just mightn't know the correct language to use or how to go about and, and what it. about so, and you know you're a very reasonable person well how yeah. would you deal with the the idea then that a teacher might be put in a position of having to impart this to young kids but might 
not feel uh, appropriately educated in this to do so. And, you know, I, I often feel for teachers. I mean, really, at the end of the day, they should be there to educate kids. But, I mean, yeah. they're, they're teaching religion. They're preparing them for, for communion and confirmation. And now they may have to educate them where where gender is, sexual gender is concerned. I mean, it's, it's a lot well, to put on teaching, teach isn't it? That. They do already teach. I mean, there is already from from junior infants, when a child starts school in the very first year in junior infants, they have relationships and sexuality programs. So this is already on the curriculum. Right. It's just this program is looked at being changed and expanded for it to be more inclusive and more diverse to reflect the society that we're in at the moment. So, you know, we haven't changed society in that... Sorry, when I say we haven't changed society, what I mean is we don't suddenly have more gay people than we used to have or more lesbians or more trans people like they've always been there what has changed is how society is talking about um the community and how we're trying to now make our community or society more inclusive and more diverse so in relationships with sexuality program there is a certain amount that talks about certain subjects already and from a very young age, children are taught about, I, I hate the phrase stranger danger, but there is a certain amount of that anyway. Yeah. They're, they're, they're talked about who to trust, who not to trust, you know, if somebody touches them in a certain way, who they talk to. All of that is discussed with very young children at the age of five, six and seven in an age-appropriate way where it's not scary, it's not daunting. They can understand and they understand the importance of it. So teachers already have that training and you know, any changes to this, teachers will get training anyway. Um, any changes to the curriculum, teachers have to be included in that decision, but also included in the training. So parents may not have the language or the tools to be able to speak to younger children about this, but the teacher's job is literally to learn how to do this. If they don't know themselves, they're taught about the subject, they learn about it, they learn how to discuss it. So it's a very safe and, and environment for it. But I think what we need to also understand is that maybe not necessarily with younger children, but with older primary school t- children, I mean, because children in Ireland now, some of them aren't starting school until they're five, maybe even nearly six. By the time some of those children get to fifth and sixth class, you know, they some of them have definitely hit puberty. You know, it's not... It's not unusual for a 10-year-old, 8, 9, 10-year-old girl to, mm. to have her period, start her period. Yes. The children are hitting puberty earlier, which means they're learning more about their bodies in 4th, 5th, 6th class, particularly 5th and 6th class. And the sexual, the relationships and sexual program um, reflects that. They do have a certain amount about bodies, you know, sort of third, fourth class. They start learning about their bodies, using correct terms, and um, how their bodies change. So all of this is already in the program. It's nothing new, and it's just to include trans people. So mm. there could very well be a child that's eleven or twelve in fifth or sixth class who feels that they may have been assigned boy when they were born, and they feel that they're a girl. Those children, we need to reach out to those children and we need to make those children feel safe 
and feel that mm. it's appropriate that they can talk to somebody about that. Yeah, and, and that they and, have the right... And again, right Anita, I'm looking at the screen here in front of me and there's all sorts of stuff coming in uh, saying, <laughs> I you, you I know, so. I mean, you can imagine some of it I couldn't even read out, to be honest with you. No, but basically it will be disagreeing with... The, I'm, I'm being very benign yes. about this. It's, it's, it's disagreeing with the notion of, of, of doing this. Do you see, if you were to break it down for a child, would you say something like... Uh, along the lines, well, there's male and there's female and there's other children then who see themselves as neither. Uh, is that, yeah. is, is it something simple like that you're talking about? Yeah. Because I think what's concerning people is that you'd you'd bombard them with a lot of complexity yeah. of... Yeah, I mean, you know. you're not going to be teaching seven-year-olds about, you know, um, surgery of how bodies change when people are transitioning. I mean, you're not going to go into anything like that. You're not even going to talk about sexuality because, you know, talking about trans people and them existing in our world has very little to do with their sexuality as well. A trans person can be straight or gay or, or bi or pansexual or any of the other types of sexualities they are. So this isn't what it's about. It's about just saying there are trans people they don't see themselves as a man. They don't see themselves as a woman. And we call those trans people. And it's that simple. And just to give you an example of how easy it can be for her to do it, I know of a child who, when they were around the age of about five or six, got a teddy bear. And the parent was asking them, what's the name of the teddy bear? And the parent said, is it a boy or a girl? And the child said, they're not a boy or a girl. They're a little bit of both. And this was coming from the child with no prompting or anything from the adult. And the child said, they're a little bit of both. And the adult just decided to sort of pop in and say, oh, so they're non-binary. And the child said, I don't know what that means. And the adult, adult said, well, they're not a boy or a girl. They're something else. And the child said, yes, that's my teddy bear. And then they went and they picked a name that was an, an ungendered name. And they named the teddy bear that name. And from there on in, that teddy bear had... Was not did not have a gender, wasn't a boy, wasn't a girl, and the child is perfectly happy with that, and there was no big issue. And these are things where people are talking about, oh, let kids be kids. Kids see the world as it's happening. They know what's going on. So they we're, we're underestimating them then, is that, yeah, is that, is that what you mean? There's headlines then. I mean, I saw a headline today, and this really doesn't help because we're hearing about a school in the Isle of Man, and they suspended the sex education curriculum because a drag queen guest told pupils there were 73 genders and made a child who argued that there were only two leave the, the classroom and also children left traumatised after being taught about sex change operations and sexual acts and stuff. Now I realise that this is, you know, a real headline. Yeah, grab I I, you saw yeah, that I presume, I, did you? I, I didn't actually but yeah. I take a lot of things like that with a pinch of souls because in all due respect to you as a broadcast there's a lot of the media that, and particularly certain tabloids that, you know, want to have sensationalistic headlines um, just to get the clicks and to cause outrage. And of a course. lot of that no, is no, in, the, in this so, case, this seems to be factual because they have quotations mm -hmm. from, from the various people involved in all of that sort of thing. But that certainly doesn't help, does it? Well, I don't know of any primary school in Ireland who, who would have yeah, been doing story yeah. time. The, the other know, thing could have. It's one thing where you have, you know, private companies, whether it's like, you know, libraries or whatever, that's nothing to do with the school curriculum. And this is particularly, I'm just focusing particularly on the school curriculum, which which has to be, you know, it goes through a lot of rigorous 
um, you know, it's not just examination before it's, it's presented to the kids of course. Yeah. Could I ask yeah. you about something else that was brought up by the Catholic Management uh, Association of Schools uh, who represent by the way 89% of national schools out there. It's very important to keep that in mind as well. But, yeah, but, but those are schools that are owned by the Catholic Church. That doesn't necessarily mean that all of the students there are Catholic or that course. the parents agree uh, with the ethos of it. Of course, it. absolutely. But can I put it to you their other concern which is that, you know, that you have a copycat situation and there's a possibility of that. If you have kids who are vulnerable or maybe kids who are have other issues, for example, they might decide, well, you know, I, maybe that's me. And, 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 but it might be based on other concerns uh, that the child might have or other issues that the yeah. child might have. Is that relevant as far as you're concerned? I mean, basically, that goes back to the, the point I made at the beginning, that there's an awful lot of scaremongering out there and misinformation, and this is completely based on misinformation. Um, I, I saw they, 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 one of the quotes they said was mounting evidence of psychological contagion that they had in the letter. I mean, that just is, that's not the case. And this is the same sort of moral outrage that we okay, have. Okay, but what they're looking at there is the huge increase in numbers of people who are identifying as trans. But yeah, you, you're saying to me that's just that it's a more comfortable world for people to yeah. identify as trans. Is that yes. it? Yes, I mean, it's yes. the same with, for example, you know, there's a very high proportion, there's a higher proportion of people that are being diagnosed as being autistic at the moment. That's not because we suddenly have more autistic people in the world. It's because the procedures that are there for people to get a diagnosis is more than we had 20 years ago. So, you know, it's not that we suddenly have now more of an increase in trans people and more people, you know, that is contagious and people are waking up one day and going, oh, my best friend is trans, so am I. That's not the case at all. This is the same moral outrage they had back in the you know the 70s when it came to um, LGB people, um, lesbian, gay, bisexual people. That suddenly it's like, oh, we have all these gay people, and you know if you associate with a gay person, you're going to become gay. I mean, it's just ridiculous. That's not the case. And um, you know the reason why we are seeing an increase over the last few years is because those services that are there for people are being expanded, and also more people are becoming more comfortable that they can actually talk about this because our society is changing and becoming more open to it. And I just want to make a point, like we've had um, gender recognition in Ireland for a number of years and there was uh, 2015, there was, you know, this sort of came to the head. We didn't have any of these debates back then. The whole thing went through, the legislation went through, it was all done properly, it went through the doll the way it was supposed to and we had none of this moral outrage about it and basically it was because there wasn't an orchestrated international campaign against trans rights that we have now at the moment and it's it's seeping into different parts of our society. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's come from very small very vocal extreme anti-trans rights groups and it's seeping online into other forums where, yeah. you know, parents are getting scared. But I, I think involved. part of that issue, Anita, and I, I think it is damaging all sorts of conversations out there, is that you can't have reasonable conversations if you have opposing views nowadays, you know, I think yeah. there's single narratives to everything. And if you're, you know, if, if you have an opposing opinion or if you want to make an opposing point, you're sort of cast aside in some way. That shouldn't be. The, you should be able to have reasonable conversations like we're having today. Yeah, I think once you can have a reasonable conversation that you're not perpetuating um, unhelpful or 
dangerous myths that can hurt people. I think that's acceptable. Um, I, interesting, I, I, I listened yesterday to your interview um, with um, the literature literature that was on yesterday, I forget his name. Sorry. Yes, Eugene, and, uh, Professor Eugene. Yeah, yep, and, yeah, and he was discussing, he was talking about critical thinking and mm. how important it was yes. for teach students about critical thinking. And I mean, this is no different. It's very important for to teach young children, start teaching young children about critical thinking. But to do that, they need to know the facts. Mm. To have a child who come up with an informed decision, they need to know what the facts are and not what scaremongering, misinformation myths. They need to know exactly what the facts are. Mm. And school is a perfect place for that. Because again, children at the age of you know 11 or 12, there's, a lot of them have access to the internet now. And a lot of them can very easily look up this information well, I, online. I, and I made that point yesterday as well. Finally, could I make a, a, just a final point? And again, I'm making this on behalf of the Catholic Primary School Management Association. Okay. <laughs> they, they, they did say one thing that interested me. And that was that, you know, well, look, if we were to promote loving everybody and having Mm. love and care and respect for everybody, none of this would be an issue. I kind of liked that, you know. You can do both. You can do that while also saying these people exist. And I don't think one contradicts the other. You know, it's okay to say. So are you saying they'd like to replace the notion of teaching fans with this sort of overall thing? Let's respect everybody. Well, you can do both. You can say, let's respect everybody. An example of that is how is, you know, these are trans people who sometimes don't have respect in the community. So we can show our love and respect for trans people. So I think you can do both. I don't think one, you know, one, it should be one or the other. Right. Um, We're we're getting our money's worth out of you today, if you don't mind, Anita. (laughs) Just just briefly before I let you go, it's International Women's Day. Is it an important day for you as a woman? Does it matter to you? Does it mean anything? Yeah, it's sort of, it's, it's a bittersweet day. I mean, where it actually originated, I'm not sure how, how if people know, it originated back at the beginning of the, the 20th century and it was very much started by the um, socialist movement and particularly women within the socialist movement where they weren't happy with working conditions and they basically went on strike and protested. And that's the origins of it. And over the years, it's changed and it's developed. I, I'm i not very, uh, I wouldn't say happy, but I've become very cynical as to how the day is. Mm. I mean, a lot of it is just um, commercial companies using it as a way to give yeah. 20% of products and stuff like that. But I absolutely believe in the in the whole idea of it. I think we should promoting be promoting more. Um, you know, discussing human rights and, and how it affects women. And you know, we still are living in a society, whether we like to admit it or not, where women are still considered second class citizens. We don't get the same rights as men. We don't earn as much money. We don't have the same land rights. And I think at the moment it's very important to talk about climate change and the fact that it's not just you know, it, obviously it's affecting everyone, but in particular, it's protect it's affecting women and children in developing countries and. That in itself is something that we need to worry about. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm quite cynical about it. I think it's fantastic that it's a time of the year where lots of women's groups around the country get to have a say and get to hear their voice heard. But I think yes. that should be every day and not but just one you day say, a year. Yeah, it's a dangerous turning into Valentine's Day and all yeah, of the days that are, is, are, are hallmark days. Unfortunately, and, and even some of the 
you know, I also see some of the panels that they have and a lot of the women speaking on the panels are middle-class white women that, you know, already have the means to have their voice heard. So I'd like to see an awful lot more diversity, you know, to hear a lot more from women of colour, disabled women, you know. Well well said, uh, Anita. Look, a real pleasure to listen to you today, Anita. Thanks. Thanks Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Anita speaking to us this morning, a parent of a primary school child reflecting there on that conversation we had yesterday with uh, Marina Griffith of Be Long. I'll be right back. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie all right, huge, huge response to Anita and indeed to some of our uh, previous contributors as well. I'll get back to it in just uh, a little while, but thank you for that. 83 311 Now, Jen Hogan is a frequent contributor to the show. She's a, a journalist with the Irish Times and a mum of seven. And she wrote a piece recently in the Times that's stirring a lot of debate online about the stress endured by parents at swimming pools and in particular what age a child should be before they're allowed into a swimming pool changing room on their own. Own and Jen joins me now. Good morning to you, Jen. Good morning, Fran. And great to talk to you. This certainly is stirring people up and stirring a lot of emotions. You, you, in the article, Jen, you said it's probably the most stressful extracurricular activity that a child engages in. Yeah, I think so. I think it's because of the changing rooms, just trying to navigate the changing rooms. It's, it's stressful enough at the best of times yeah. if your child is with you. But if you have to separate out because maybe you have a little boy in my case who's who has to who might be expected to go to the male changing rooms or if you're a dad who has a little girl who might be expected to go to the ladies changing rooms it, it can just add that additional stress one because you might not be comfortable with it and two because the child might not be comfortable with it so it just it's that additional pressure um that it puts on parents you you made reference to some stories in the article will you just give us some of what it is you've discovered on this jen so some swimming pools are asking parents to send their children to the gen- to gender changing rooms from the age of seven. So from as young as seven, a boy is expected to use a, male change- a men's changing room and a seven-year-old girl is expected to use the women's changing room. And obviously, if you're a parent of the opposite sex, mm. you can't be with them. So there were a lot of parents objecting to this. They said they felt it was too, it was too young. They were worried about their child's capabilities, how they'd manage it and navigate it. They were worried about them falling. They were worried about their child being distressed, being away from them. And they were also concerned about predatory issues. So there was a whole series of things to consider and they were really annoyed. Management insisted that they had considered the whole um, child safety issue and this is what they felt was appropriate. And the vast, vast majority of parents felt this was too young an age and a lot of them really wanted to go up as far as 10, 11, 12 before this was something that they would consider. It seems to be slightly easier um, where it's girls using women's changing rooms. And the reason, again, feedback that I'm getting from parents, the reason for that is, one, I suppose there was a maturity thing. Often girls are that little bit more mature than boys. I know it's a sleeping generalisation, but, but typically mm. that is the case at, at that age. And two, if a little one ran into trouble, a woman might feel more comfortable helping a child in difficulty than a man might be supporting a child that he doesn't know in the men's changing room. So there was a few different reasons why it was considered a bit more difficult. But I suppose the long and short of it is, it seems to be parents are very much ignoring this 
the, the, the recommendations they're insisting they're bringing their children in it's causing friction and some parents even had to move swimming pool rather than continue with it because they were adamant they were not sending their son into the men's change room or their daughter into the women's alone One, one of the, the lines in your article resonates with me uh, it says that older ladies had complained about boys being in the changing room making them feel uncomfortable yeah. and this plays into a letter we got to our agony aunt some time back Jen uh, where again a woman had uh, a lot of issues she said that another woman brought in her eight-year-old child and he was staring at her as she was trying to struggle to get uh, dressed. It is a, it is a real issue. You know, you know it's, as you say, Pastor, I've had people get in touch with me since the piece was published and I have had a woman say that this is terribly unfair on women and girls to allow boys into the changing yeah. room. And I suppose I have both genders, uh, you know, and it's not something that I've ever seen. You know, my lads are as conscious of nobody seeing their bits yeah, of course, as, yeah. as my daughter was, of course. And I don't. I think children, a child of eight is pretty oblivious. You know, he if he was with his mother, he's seen it all before. He's not interested. They're not thinking the same way. So I think, I don't know, if somebody's projecting their own maybe so. uh, lack maybe of so. comfort on a child because an eight-year-old is just what, a baby, really. What's the way around it, Jen? Is it some sort of family rooms or yeah. is that it? Yeah. I think so. I mean, I'm very lucky. The swimming pool that we're using at the moment for my kids' swimming lessons is a kind of like a communal swimming pool, or yeah. sorry, communal changing rooms, which has all these individual stalls and family stalls within so everybody is there. If you're a dad taking your children swimming, you bring them into the same room as you. If you're a mum taking your children, likewise, you bring them in. And so you can have your mixed genders in the same individual cubicles. And it takes away the pressure hugely. There's nobody worrying over who's where and making sure they have all their gear as well. Even the practicalities, like has he or she taken everything into the changing room? And you know they're safe and you know they're comfortable and you know there's no anxiety. And, and, And that seems to be the way forward and certainly what a lot of people are looking to. I think in a lot of um, changing rooms where they are gendered you will find if a little boy goes into the women's or a little girl goes into the boys they'll often use the toilet within the changing room to get changed anyway you know they're not right. they're, they're not really they, they, they don't want to be there any more than than they of, have of to be course. there uh, Dr. Colman Nocter uh, the adolescent uh, and mm-hmm. child uh, psychotherapist is referenced in your article as well he makes a very interesting point though because he said you know the self-management of seven and eight year olds if, yeah. if, if you abandon them into the, the, the various stress rooms he said where the predatory issues are concerned striking a balance between making a child wary and making a child terrified is very hard that's a great point isn't it? It is. And I think that's just, I think as a society, we have become a little bit hysterical almost around certain things. And you're trying to get that balance right. You're trying to, you know, equate the risk to the, the amount of information that you give your your child. You know, be, keep things in perspective very much, you know, to be aware, but not to be terrified and suspicious of all at the same time. And that's a really difficult balance when you have a very small child. So it's about keeping things age appropriate and maybe telling children to trust their gut and trying to take that kind of approach or just to be aware of maybe even your line of questioning might be, you know, innocent enough course, but you yes. might get what you need. To, but, but yeah, it is. It's a really difficult one. And you can't send your child out into the world and out into a situation where there is, a, a, I suppose, a degree of risk without 
having them a bit aware of it in whatever way you, whatever approach you take to that. But you can't terrify them you either. Can't. They'll spend their Absolutely lives afraid not, of everything. Yeah. Um, you'll forgive me if I drag you into a, a, an argument, well, an argument, a discussion that we've been having all mm-hmm. morning and yesterday on the programme about the Catholic Primary Schools Management Association yeah. and they challenging the Minister. Um, that argument that children should be taught what it means to be transgender at a, a young age. And I'm just wondering, as a mum specifically, mm-hmm. Jen, could you, is it unfair to ask you what you think of that? No, I mean, I haven't seen exactly what is go, what, what's going to be taught to children. And but that's the thing, isn't it? Nobody seems yeah. to know what, what exactly is going to be taught. But we're assured that it will be age appropriate and, you know, and, and things like that. I mean, my children, it's really weird. I remember years ago um, a relative asking my daughter to leave the room because she was telling us that somebody was gay. And I was like, my daughter doesn't need need the part need to leave the room. You know, she's very familiar with yes, what being yeah. gay is always has been. Likewise, I have like they're talking about children, younger children. My children would be aware that some people are transgender. It it hasn't. It's just people exist. Transgender people exist. Denying that they exist is maybe closing. It's it, it's been very narrow minded. It, it's. It's not reflective of the world that we live in. I don't believe there'll be anything to fear in what their chi- what our children are going to be taught. I think our children are very receptive to learning about differences and to learning mm. about inclusion and to learning about the, the very diverse and wonderful world we live in. So I don't believe it'll be anything to fear. I think people, again, getting very worked up without knowing what it is that we're going to be taught and projecting, again, perhaps their own internalised fears. I don't know what's going on. But I, I can't, I can't see there being anything that's not age appropriate, and and that goes across the board. And we're talking about things like sex, children, you know, and they're learning about it at a younger age. We keep it very age appropriate. So when we're learning about transgender people, I, I don't understand what the fear is. I don't, I don't, I don't really get it. I don't in in trust that the, that everything will be done in a way that the children can understand. Um, mm. I don't have any fear and, of it. And are you saying to me, and I, again as a mum, are you saying yeah. there's a certain awareness anyway? Uh, yeah, with... like, this, is a, this is the wonderful thing about children now. Um, I, I, I used this example talking to my own kids recently. When I was growing up, I loved Boy George. I adored Boy George. I dressed up as him <laughs> for Halloween. I thought he was the coolest guy yeah. ever with his braids and his makeup. And I didn't know he was gay. I didn't even know that gay people existed because it was never discussed with me. It wasn't ever, you know, it just didn't come on my radar. Mm. And when I was a teenager, obviously, I learned. I was going, all right. And he liked to wear his clothes like that. And perhaps everybody knew Boy George was gay and I didn't know. And it made no difference to me. But, my, you know, it, nowadays there's no learning about it. You just know. I mean, Boy George existed just because I didn't know about it. He still was there. He was still gay. I didn't know of it. I don't, there was no reason for me not to have known at the time. There was no reason to protect me. Like, there was no reason that time where, as I said, somebody was trying to protect my daughter at one stage from hearing somebody was gay. There was no reason for it. We, un- you know, children are amazing. They are inclusive by nature. They're accepting by nature. They're curious by nature. And it's about making it a nicer and a kinder world for everyone for everyone so I don't I don't have any issue at all with that and I have no issue with my children knowing they'll ask questions I explain 
what I need. He said, they don't even ask cast the question, questions after that. They go, oh, right, and then get on with playing <laughs> Spider-Man or whatever else it is that they're you doing. You know, Jen, I'm delighted I threw that question at you uh, because that was beautifully answered. Thanks very much. Always a pleasure, Jen. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye, Take Jen. Care, Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's uh, Jen Hogan there, uh, mum of seven and uh, a journalist with the Irish Times as well. 1800-938-007. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie TikToker has spoken out against a popular restaurant in Essex in the UK for being anti-vegan. The woman on TikTok blasted a British restaurant called Sheesh in an online video and uh, it went viral after it refused to cater for her vegan friend's needs and caused quite a stir. And it poses the question, should all restaurants be obliged to serve vegan food? Well, Jerry Boland has uh, spoken to us in the past. He's the founder of and spokesperson for Animals Behind Closed Doors and he joins me now. Jerry, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. Good to talk to you again, Jerry, and thanks for coming on with us. What did you make of this, and do you think that restaurants should be obliged to provide um, vegan menus? Well, my view on this is that the only good thing that comes out of this kind of story is that we end up having a conversation on air about yeah. it. And so we can expand and, um, the conversation because it's a bit of a storm in the key teacup, to be quite honest with you. I've been researching it since you got in touch with me. Um, Sheesh is a very, very popular and very trendy among a certain kind of celeb kind of person over in, in Essex. Mm. And well, what nature of restaurant is it, uh, Jerry? Yeah, um, well, it's kind of sizzling. It's, it's, it's actually a pretty basic menu. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, like it's all meat and mm. a little bit of fish and there's a lot of barbecue kind of stuff. So, um, and it's owned by Alan Sugar, who oh, um, right. was recently, um, he's the 138th most wealthy person in the UK. He is valued at £1.2 billion. Mm. So, you know, this is not a restaurant that needs to um, that needs to do anything in a sense than just do what it feels like doing. So, you know, if they have a certain kind of celeb kind of culture going in, um, it's, there's kind of a macho kind of thing going on about it, etc., etc. So they're just not interested in having vegans. Mm. Like, that's fair enough, I suppose, because, you know, like 90% of the population in the UK are not vegan or not even vegetarian. So it's not illegal to eat meat. So if a, if a restaurant decides not to serve vegans, well, fair enough. But like, from my own point of view, I think it's stupid because the world is changing very fast. I think I've probably said on this program before. Mm. And mm. in 10 years' time, I can pretty much guarantee, although I won't be following the story, I can pretty much guarantee that she, if it's still going, will be serving vegan meals. Um, because, because people will be wanting it, I suppose. People will be wanting it. Climate yeah. change will demand it. Lab meat, whether we like the idea of, of it or not, will be all over the world at that stage. There'll be restaurants specifically, um, you know, serving nothing but lab meat. And, um, and, and just meat explain that to us again. That's that's oh, yeah, synthetic sorry, that's, meat, is it? Is that this, what? Is, yeah, this is big developments going on all over the world in almost every single country trying to come up with the best meat that's coming out of a lab. So mm. It's cell culture um, lab. So there's some big companies funded by some wealthy individuals in the States at the moment, but also in Japan, um, who, have, who are producing, um, there's one called Beyond Meat, and I can't remember what the other one is, and they're producing burgers now, which um, on trial, you know, blind trial, most people can't tell the difference. 
Right. So, um, so it's inevitable, you're, you're, you're saying to me, uh, that, that this is going to happen. The only thing I would say to you is, uh, I'm not a vegetarian, uh, as I probably mentioned to you before, Jerry, but I often feel for vegetarian friends because, um, and, and I'm specifically talking about a vegetarian now, not as opposed to vegans, because the menu has always been so limited for them, particularly in Irish restaurants. I mean, God almighty, you, you know, it's been, been awful, hasn't it? Well, it has been, but I have to say, as a vegan for 35 years, there's been phenomenal change in the last, you know, 24 years. Yeah, is there better months. choice now and the like, yeah? Well, almost every single restaurant. Like, I, I and some colleagues ran a campaign last November for World Vegan Day, and the idea of it was that we'd try and get as many restaurants as possible to serve a vegan dish on the day, and we largely found that we were pushing open doors. That the, the, the proprietors of all of these restaurants, whether they were meat, predominantly meat or not, they acknowledged the fact that a lot of vegans were coming in. And so it was in the interest of their of their business to serve vegan food. But, like, you know, as a vegan, I would like, in an ideal world, that nobody ate meat. But I know that's not going to happen. Mm. And that, that that's not necessary. I, I think, you know, like, you know, when slavery kind of, I know it's going off on a bit of a tangent, but when slavery was, um, was being phased out in, in the States all those years ago, it wasn't that 100% of the American population were against slavery. It had just reached a tipping point um, where they were, uh, you know, and politically it was unacceptable. It wasn't that, you know, there was still a very strong argument for keeping slavery. So I think there's a very strong argument for um, many, many people going vegan for animal welfare reasons and for climate reasons in particular, and also for health reasons. That's my view. Right. And so I think more and more people are going to turn vegan. So I think it's kind of, um, it. I would also say it smacks of a bit of arrogance in relation to this restaurant. Because, you know, it was almost like they were trying to make a point. You know, we're not going to kind of kowtow to you vegan people. And could um, I take you back to something that you mentioned in passing there? You said, was it a macho attitude to eating meat? And is that is that sort of emerging now, do you think? Well, there's certainly kind of a kickback against veganism, that's for sure. Yeah, because um, they talk about, you know, complete meat diets. I forget your man. Is it Jason Patterson? What, what is his name? Peterson, is it? Who has come up with that? Um, himself and his wife. They promote that notion that, you know, you eat almost all the time uh, meat. And uh, they're, yeah. they're saying it's it's great for you and all of that sort of thing. But this is kind of a, this is a, kind of a reaction against the kind of move. Because people, understandably, Fran, people feel challenged and threatened by what's happening with the world on a whole lot of levels. And one of them is the change in the food that's coming at us. And so people, some people just don't want to know because it means actually dealing with it and maybe having to change their diet. And some people are so annoyed and frustrated by people like me mm. talking about veganism um, that they just go the other way and they just want to eat meat all the time. But I'm afraid it's going to catch up on them health-wise because, you know, mm. there, it, there isn't a single major medical organisation yeah. in the no, world now that they, recommends... They might, uh, say, uh, they might say to you, though, you'd be better off eating the best of Irish beef as opposed to something that's created in a lab, uh, Jerry. I presume you, you get that argument all of the time, do you? Uh, I do get the argument, but I'm in... Well, I was going to say this business. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in this area. You know, I'm a vegan for the animals. You know, I, I didn't give up eating meat um, for any other reason other than the animals. Right. And the all the vegans who I know um, who have stuck with us, and I've, I've known many, many, many over the years. The ones who are kind of committed vegans, if you know what I mean they're always the ones who gave it up for the animals. And the benefits for health and the benefits for climate change and reducing carbon footprint came after. Right, but um, essentially it was the animals. And what it's, it's that you feel the, the cruelty to the animals. Is that it and how they're reared and how they're looked after? Is that it? And how they well, killed, I, I suppose. I, 
I was brought into the whole area by seeing, you know, how factory farmed animals are treated mm. and how they're brought up. And then that brought me down the road as to why are we killing animals in the first place? Because, you know, no animal wants to die. And I've probably said that's one mm. spoken before. Dead, indeed, yeah. And um, so that's another argument. That's why that's why I do what I do. I believe very strongly, um, you know, that animals are not here um, for us to eat. But what we've done, and we've turned them into commodities. And this is why there's such um, a large number of people giving up eating animals, because you can't hide it any longer. It was a hidden industry for a long, long time. But in the era of social media, there is no way you can hide it. You only have to get Google, you know, um, cruelty on pig farms or chicken farms, and you will be faced with hundreds, if not thousands, of video footage. Yeah, and, and there's um, a lot more conversations uh, around it, in fairness, at, uh, at the moment as well. But, I mean, need I tell you that we're here in Tipperary Agriculture, uh, is so important to us here that uh, there will be a lot of people deeply offended that we're having even this conversation, I suppose, this morning, Jerry. Well, again, I some people will, but again, a lot of the farmers listening to this, they probably won't be very happy about hearing it, but they will also be very well aware that this is a conversation that's going to continue. And so, what we it was reported in the um, in the Farming Independent yesterday. That a very large number of dairy farmers now right across the country and in Tipperary um, were both converting to organic or else some of them were convert, were getting out of dairy altogether. And there are incentives to, you know, there are incentives now coming down the line to reduce the number of dairy herds and to reduce the number of dairy farms. So, there, you know, this is a country that produces, that grows very, very little of its own food. And so this is the way I think that we're going to be going in the next 10 to 20 years. And I... I genuinely think that most farmers who are listening to this understand that, but it's just very, very difficult when you've built up your whole business and your whole life for 20, 30 years and you spent so much money on it. It's very, very difficult to turn that ship around. And indeed, we're encouraged to to in relatively recent times as well. Jerry, it's really good to talk to you as always, and thanks very much for your time this morning. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Good morning to you. Jerry Boland there, founder and spokesperson for Animals Behind Closed Doors. News is on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Very welcome back to uh, Tip Today. Uh, Brian was on to us. He says your guest has raised an issue regarding trans which debunks her own argument. Gender is a medically proven fact that you're born either male or female, and this applies to all mammals. Uh, Transgender is an ideological concept, and that is if you remove the thought process from a person, you can medically assess them as male or female by their chromosome. And that's a fact, and uh, that's in from Brian. He goes on to give us more uh, explanation on that as well, um, as far as he's concerned. Uh, Fran, the smaller the mind, the greater the fear. Most of this issue isn't relevant to the majority of people listening, so technically it's not even an issue they should be involved in. Let it be the issue for people who have children and are concerned, but also let those people educate themselves and allay uh, the fear rather than sweep it under the carpet, as was the case in the country for many, many decades. Um, uh, Let me see. My good friend Joe Noble was on to say good morning, Fran. I got a lovely present for International Women's Day. I got my appointment to see the surgeon next month and I got a letter yesterday telling me that if my hip gets worse, I have to go for an operation. 
and uh, this morning I got my appointment. So I think the one that sends out the letters are more wired to the moon than me, <laughs> says Joe, who's on to us today. Joe, lovely to hear from you and happy International Women's Day uh, to you as well. OK, lots more coming in on this. As I say, some of it I just can't read out because it's it's... It's personal and it's taking people to task and it's calling names and all sorts of stuff. Anyway, let us go out and about because our reporter, Alison Highland, is on the road for us once again this morning. Ali, where are you? Good morning, Fran. I'm here in Thurlis and I'm at a gamer's paradise this morning. I'm at the National Games Flab that's being held in Toos in Thurlis where students are showcasing the games that they have designed and developed uh, with the hopes of impressing judges, some very high-profile judges here today. But just to give us the background and to tell us more about it, I'm joined by Dr. Liam Noonan, who's Programme Coordinator of Games Development and lecturer here at Toos as well. Liam, a fantastic event. Your 20th year. Yeah, Alison, we're, yes, we are. It's 20 amazing years. Um, we've had snowstorms, we've had COVID. I was checking the weather forecast this morning and AA Road Watch. Today it's all great, it's all a relatively calm day. Um, we have students from Dublin, Athlone, Limerick, Maynooth. Um, we have judges from Galway, uh, we have judges from Romero Games and Electronic Arts here. We have uh, Microsoft, AdScribe. DraftKings, as industry judges all coming down. We're celebrating 20 years of making games. So we all know how to play games, but there's a huge job opportunities in making games. And this is what this whole competition started off 20 years ago. How do we use games to encourage people to, to code? Yeah, and I mean, it's an industry that has really grown, and I can't imagine the growth you've seen it, in it in 20 years. I mean, could you have imagined 20 years ago that we'd have VR now? No, you couldn't. And PricewaterhouseCoopers predict the market to be worth $326 billion a year next year. Um, cinema industry is about $46 billion, you know, so it's... Um, we are multiples now of the movie industry. We passed out the movie industry about four years ago, and we took off. And COVID and streaming and online gaming, I think, the big, the, the, I think the big winners were, the, were all the online kind of the FIFAs, the, uh, all those games that you could play online, because you couldn't leave the house. So what were you going to do? You're going to have the chats with your friend online, and you're going to play the games online. And as well as that, I mean, the, the development of mobile phones, I'm sure, has been hugely beneficial in that regard because it's not just console-based anymore. No, no, it's fantastic. Uh, desktop PCs and mobile phones are amazing. The power we now have. Um, so what's happening now is there's 3,000 games a day being released to the mobile platforms a day. Like That many? That many, yeah, 3,000 a day minimum, maybe closer to four at this stage. Our students plug their phone into their computer and they press upload after they've built their game and it's on their phone. Then it's on the Google Play Store and then they can get their cousin Bob in, in Sydney, Australia to play the game. And it's, um, the technology is far more affordable than it was. If you think back to the early 80s with the Atari 2600s and Morris Pratt selling them online, they were three or four times the price of an Xbox and the Xbox game. So everything has come down in price. You can buy uh, very affordable hardware for less than for about 400 euros and build your own games. I, to be fair, I don't know a house that doesn't have some sort of games console in it now. No, they don't. They don't. Um, a lot of houses uh, will even uh, they would have the Xbox, the Playstations, the Nintendo Switch, the Nintendo Wii. Remember bowling on the Nintendo yeah. Wii? Yeah. So 
Back to my generation, the Atari 2600. Or the Commodore. Remember the Commodore? 64. <laughs> I wrote games for the Commodore 64, the Sinclair Spectrum, the Atari 2600. Um, we grew up with them. We grew up with them. Except for me to write games in the 80s and show my age again was difficult. Now it's so much easier. Tell me about the FLA then today. How many um, applications are there? How many people are, are showcasing today and taking part? So we have 20 different teams showcasing upstairs here in our gallery and they've built games in their years two to years four. They come from four different campuses at the, and downstairs we have another competition in the conference centre and we have six different campuses taking part in a first year only programming event, programming software tanks in Java. It's a bit like, it's a, it's a knockout, two software tanks on the screen, the winner gets a point and the first of three wins the round. It's like Champions League, you know, round robin and we will have winners. So. We also have visiting schools. We have schools from all around the area doing coding workshops with my colleagues as well throughout the morning. And then we have a number of industry speakers in the afternoon. We have Brenda Romero, BAFTA award-winning game designer, giving a talk. And we have um, uh, Keith O'Connor from Romero Games giving a, a junior coder survival guide to the industry. We also have... Uh, EA giving a talk and John Romero and I are sitting down because Doom is 30 years old. I have a fireside chat about Doom. That's bad. And we're hoping to speak to, to hopefully Brenda in a little bit uh, and bring in International Women's Day into it as well because she really broke the glass ceiling when it comes to women in gaming, didn't yeah, she? Yeah, Brenda's an award, BAFTA award-winning game designer. She's a fantastic advocate for girls in IT. She's, um, she's always telling us we can do better. Why aren't we doing better? And she's dead right to challenge us and to you know, make us think about it. And... Um, I think Brenda, we need more people like Brenda to go out to tell parents, to tell schools that the IT industry is an equal opportunities employer. Absolutely. And do you know what, Fran, I'm feeling bad now for telling my lads at home to get off the games because here would really inspire you. But just to speak to some of the game designers, uh, Mary is with me now. Mary, you're a fourth year student here and this isn't your first rodeo. You came away with awards from this previously. Yeah, so games by last year, we got uh, two awards for our game. It was a group game last year. This year, I'm just in on my own. You're solo. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. Tell me about your game. Uh, so the game this year is an endless runner. So that's one where you just kind of think subway servers, that yeah, kind of Reminding me of Temple Run. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Very similar to that. So it goes kind of on forever and it increases in difficulty over time. Things get faster, there's more obstacles to avoid, that kind of stuff. What I loved about yours then, um, even though it is, you know, it's similar to Temple Run, but yours is a lot more sophisticated in that the ground moves and you can change, you could run on the ceiling essentially. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. there's a few cool mechanics in there that make it kind of a bit more unique compared yeah. to other games. So you can rotate around, run on the wall instead if the floor disappears, run on the ceiling if there's no walls to run on and rotate around. So because this isn't your first flag, then were you approaching this one differently because maybe you knew what the judges are looking for, so you adapted your game towards that, or was it totally the game you wanted to design? Um, well, the game, this game was made for an assignment. Uh, last semester in four years so um, it wasn't really aimed for Gamesfla but it was a case of oh it turned out pretty good let's stick it in for Gamesfla and see how we get on and is this something that you want to do do you want to stay in games development um, I'm not sure yet yeah. games development or software development yeah. uh, either or kind of uh, the, the software industry is a bit bigger in Ireland yeah. so it's harder to get jobs uh, in the games but there's still a good few studios in Ireland and it's only getting bigger as well so don't know yet and I know we're seeing students filing in now who are going to test out the games. What kind of reaction have you been getting to your game? Uh, it's pretty good so far, yeah. Yeah, people, uh, they keep falling off the platforms because 
I played it loads myself, no yeah. house to it, but when uh, someone else new, new plays it, they start off from lower difficulties. But yeah, they've, they've been enjoying it so far. Is it lovely to see that, to see people enjoy something you've created? Yeah, it is, yeah, yeah. certainly. Well, we wish you all the best with it today. Good luck. Um, now, uh, Douglas, actually, I might just speak to... Uh, sorry, I'll speak to Brenda first. Brenda, first of all, welcome to Tipperary. Welcome to Thurlis. It's an honour to have you. A BAFTA award-winning designer. You're one of the judges here as well today. And happy International Women's Day, more importantly of all. Thank you so much. Same to you. Yeah, it's a, it's a great... You know, it's so important, I think, to celebrate the accomplishments of women. Like, I think about when I was in college, so I was in a computer science course, all of my lecturers were men, all the people that were highlighted were men. Um, I was, now there were 30, about 30% students that were women at the time, but still all the role models, all the mentors, everybody mentioned was men. So I think it's, this day is so important to be able to highlight the significant contributions of women in tech. Like the very first programmer, Ada Lovelace, was a woman. It's been a very slow growth, though, hasn't it? What, what do you put down to that? Well, you mean just to getting... With women in tech and women in gaming. Just to get the... You mean the names out yeah. there? Well, you know, I think it's it, it, in the 80s, like in the mid-80s, about 40% of the IT... About 40% of IT enrollment were women. And it's declined now to about 17, 18%. And I really think, like, when I, when I speak to large groups of women and I ask, how many of you have heard that IT is for boys? over half the audience will raise their hand. So I really think the easiest thing that we can possibly do is just to message, no, IT is for everybody. Yeah. IT is for everybody. You know, it's, it's critically important. You're giving a talk as well today, which is very fitting for International Women's Day. Could you tell us more about that? Well, I almost did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it is. So I'm, what I am talking about is... Um, is the critical role of women in tech yeah. and how many of, of the things that we are like, oh, that was really important, like compilers, that was invented by a woman, optimizing compilers, assembly language, um, Wi-Fi, um, so many things that we, um, like even the very first, uh, the, what we credit, like ENIAC was considered to be really the first computer that was coded by an all-female programming team. And one of those women is Kay McNulty, who is from County Donegal. Wow. You know, it actually came from the Goyle Talks. That's incredible. Yeah, so, so anyway, that's what I'm just doing because I want to make sure, like when I was in college, nobody mentioned any women. Nobody mentioned any contributions to women. So at least anybody who's here today will be like, wow, like we started this party and we invited everybody else. So that's oh, my goal. One of the games you would really be well known for is Doom. And that was created oh, no, that back... that wouldn't be me. Oh, sorry, that was John Romero. We'll speak to John later on. I'll take credit. No, I won't take credit <laughs> for it. Yeah, no, John, although certainly like that game, Doom is, Doom is a game that everybody knows about. Yeah. And just by my association with John, I certainly know a ton about the game. I would say for me, probably the biggest name games that I've worked on were, um, well, this one's an older game now, Wizardry, which is the inspiration for all the Final Fantasy games. And then probably Dungeons and Dragons, which... I loved that. that game. Yeah, well, I can't take... I worked on a digital version of Dungeons and Dragons. I can't take credit, certainly, for the original thing, but that's probably the biggest IP I've worked on. You're also one of the judges here today. What's your criteria? What are you looking for in a winning entry? I'm looking for, first of all, I'm looking for somebody using the language and using the tool well. So if, for instance, they're using a plug-and-play solution, are they really taking advantage of that? And are they, are they living up to the challenge that, that all the students are facing? Are they on theme? And then I want to see, they need to be able to, the game has to have a clear vision. I shouldn't be looking at it going, what's going on? And we should be able to just jump in it, into it and play.
you know, and that's what we've been doing. We give them a chance to discuss their game, and then one of the people, David, who's on our judging team, just says, can I have a go? Um, and yeah, and how, how well does his go go? Do you have a preference? Do you like simplicity in a game or do you like it to be very sophisticated? What's your own personal preference? Yes. <laughs> it depends on the game. Like, you know, I've certainly played a lot of hardcore strategy games, but I also love a game like one of my favorite games in recent years is called The Artful Escape. And you can't really even lose that game. Right. And I like story based games as well. So I I just appreciate a good game well made. Yeah. Brenda, it's great to talk to you. And again, welcome to Tipperary and happy International Women's Day. And we wish you all the best during your stay. Thank you so much. Uh, Fran, we're going to speak to some of the other uh, participants in the FLA this year. Um, and Douglas is here. Douglas, sorry, I'll just cut in here. Douglas, you're one of the um, contestants as well today in this competition. Could you tell me about your game? All right. <laughs> Uh, yes, it's a, f a Formula One game, which is, it was inspired by a brick game that I used to play when I was a kid. So I wanted to recreate something like that, but more colorful. I, so when we started the school learning about assembly, I thought, hey, this could be a, a good language to try that on. And then I went for that. Shortly after I had heard about the, uh, the, the convention that we have here. So I decided to make that game. It took me over a month and uh, since the beginning of February yeah. the planning and understanding how assembly works but the actual code it went for more over two weeks was that the most difficult aspect of it than the coding no, no. The, the, the coding was not the difficult part the difficult part was understanding firstly how assembly works okay yes and because you do your software engineering yes. you're not in gaming I'm essentially not in, I'm yeah. not in game yes uh, that was another uh, part um, we, I'm, I'm in the web development space, so I'm working with Java, JavaScript, and, and uh, the like. Yes. Yeah. So when we're now taking on assembly, first of all is to learn how assembly language works. Now, second is to understand the game physics and how games work in the first place. So that took a lot more time yeah. than than the actual coding that that took place for the game. So when I then understood how it works. Then it was a trial and error, trial and error, yeah. as I, until I got the game finally running. Well, it looks fantastic. We wish you all the best with it. Good luck today. Um, another uh, contestant we're going to speak to, to this morning, friend, is Ishka. And Ishka, good morning to you. Could you tell us about your game? Your game is Catborg. Yeah. Um, basically, my game is Catborg. It's based around a team of friendship and teamwork. You know, like even in real life situations, teamwork is really important on going through challenges and stuff. And our game is basically. Um, built using construct tree and there's two characters that you can control basically the cat can kill the scorpion and you move him back and forth using the left and right arrow key and since he's not endlessly running um you gotta like work together with a cyborg which is the second character and the cyborg basically can punch the um blue enemy which is the mummy and he can jump up but he's endlessly running so like you can't really move him back and forth now so you gotta like make sure that like both of the characters work together and none of them dies because um the cyborg is the main character so if he dies the game is over but if the cat dies then the cyborg is just gonna be lonely you know <laughs> is this your first year taking part in the flat yeah because we're second years um in the first year we have robocode and then in second year we do um games flat. so this is our first year here yeah. how are you finding it so far uh, i think it's actually really fun i get to see other game developers and how their game works and i love to see the different softwares that they use to build the games and everyone here is really friendly and nice and it's definitely an event that you should go to if you have free time yeah, yeah. I 
I was speaking to uh, Brenda Romero as well, who was uh, talking about women in the industry as well. And is that something that you you want to stay in games development? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, it is like a little bit challenging, but like um, I feel like if you work hard enough, you'll definitely go through it. And I definitely encourage more women to go into IT because it's a really really good field of work, and everyone is actually really really friendly. So like nobody's intimidating, nobody's gonna judge you at all. So like if you want to become a game developer, like please consider like joining this field. It's really really fun. It's really great. Ishka, lovely to talk to you this morning. Best of luck. And sorry, I nearly knocked over your table. So sorry. <laughs> so leave just to finish up. I mean, it's it's a fantastic atmosphere as well, and some really inspiring young people who are developing fantastic games. Yeah, and we also have free games downstairs. You probably saw Pac-Man. Yeah, I spotted Street Fighter as well down there. And Pac-Man, Street Fighter. We have six Xbox X's playing FIFA. We have Guitar Hero as well. And one of my former students who's back uh, was very good at Guitar Hero, so I'm hoping to see him at, using it later. That came out in 2008. And we have the original Doom. So we have games from 82 to 2023 all downstairs as well for, for the general public to play and then they can come upstairs and learn how they're made yeah that's and how long will it run for or until today oh it's today it's what time are we shutting up so uh, the public gaming stops at half one the talk starts at two we announce the prize winners at four and we put everybody in a bus at half four <laughs> and, we out the gap. and we out the gap at half four because a lot of people have two two and a half hours in their buses yeah. People have got up very early this morning to be here. Yeah. So I think there'll be a lot of people snoozing on the way home yeah. in, their, in their buses. Liam, we wish you all the best with it. Thanks for having us here today. And hopefully we'll, we'll be able to announce the winners maybe tomorrow. Yes, if, if, there, there, there'll be press releases and photographs and the PR will go out at half four. Excellent. And they're certainly all worthy of awards here. So uh, from here, the, as I said at the beginning, a gamer's paradise here in Tucson. Thurlis, back to you in studio, Fran. Thanks very much indeed, Ali. And uh, that's uh, Alison this morning, live from Tus in Thurlis at the Games Flat there. She knows far too much about gaming. Oh, I need to find out more when she arrives back to the office. 1800-938-007. Will you hear this? Um, one of her listeners says, Fran, I'm delighted to let you know that the HSE is at last up to date. My mother, who is dead for 28 years and would have been 123 this year, got a letter yesterday offering her a bowel screen. That's him from Donald this morning. Incredible. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie 1800 is our free phone number. You'll be chatting to Emma. The text and WhatsApp is 083-311-3311. Now, as I've been telling you for the last few days, the Marty Party featuring the great Marty Morrissey is coming to the the University Concert Hall in Limerick this coming Friday and I'm delighted to be joined now by Marty himself. Good morning, Marty. Good morning, Fran. Delighted uh, to be with you. Uh, great to chat to you today as well. You have to give the credit for the Marty party elsewhere, Marty, haven't you? I, I really have because, um, I mean, I didn't start as, as, at all the slagging. It was Mario Rosenstock and Oliver Callan on their <laughs> TV and radio shows. And um, it was funny, the first time I was we were opening a, a, a field in my own parish in West Clare and we were having a few drinks late into the late into the morning, I suppose, rather than the night. But it had no signal and it was a Friday night. 
So when I came out, um, uh, my phone just lit up. And they all snagged me, geez, you're looking well on the late, late, fair play to you. And uh, never saw that uh, beautiful pink shirt before. And I said, what is wrong with people? I'm in, I'm in West Clare, as it turned out. And it was Mario on with Ryan Jubbody on the late, late. That kind of started. And then Oliver was doing his TV show and he was there with the hair all over the place, the white teeth and the pink shirt and the open dogs <laughs> and my belly button and saying, hi, I'm Marty and I like to party. Which is absolutely true, by the way. So they they, they got me they got me well. And uh, so I decided to embrace it, Fran, uh, because apart from that, you know, uh, I suppose Dancing with the Stars, yeah. um, there was a, a, a Anna Geary put together the, the group with, with Deirdre Kane and Jake Carter, Rob Heffernan, and Bernard. Um, and the, she called it the Marty, the Marty Party. So it got some kind of traction over the last number of years. And I said, you know what? Particularly, I think, since COVID. Um, and my own mother, uh, could be good to her having her, that accident. Uh, yeah. I said, you know what? Life is short. Uh, and I still love my sport, my GA. But I, I'm just taking uh, these days to kind of organise where people can come together. And also, it gives a platform for local and national musicians and talented, way more talented than me now that can sing and dance, uh, a platform uh, to perform and get back on the stage and bring us back to... Yeah, I think it's, it's great. And do you know what I love about it as well? It's a, it's an old-fashioned, if you don't mind my saying, so variety show, which I think it is. is terrific, isn't yeah. it? it? And that's what I'm calling it, actually, yeah. in the sense of when people ask me, what is the Marty Party? I mean, to be honest with you, I hadn't a clue. <laughs> so, so we have to kind of start with a blank sheet. Yeah. Uh, and... Um, it is an old-fashioned variety show with a 21st century twist. Yes. Uh, and people will have to come on Friday night uh, to, to know what I mean. But, I mean, we have a great lineup on Friday night, if I may say so myself. Yeah, will, uh, will you tell us who, who's there on Friday night? Uh, well, we have, let me see, uh, we have Emma Langford mm-hmm. uh, in, from Limerick and yeah. Deirdre Scanlon. We also have Eurovision winners Paul Harrington, Charlie McGilligan. Uh, there's a great dancing uh, group of lads who during uh, COVID uh, were re- was renting a house in Doolan and they started doing these brilliant dances uh, at various uh, venues around Clare and Galway. And they ended up on Good Morning America dancing on the Cliffs of Moher. And they, they were, then were brought over to the White House to dance for President Biden for St. Patrick's Day. Cordia. Wow. They're un- absolutely outstanding. We've killed for a new uh, ballad group kind of put together by Nathan Carter. Um, we have who else have we got? My God, we mm. uh, 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 oh, Claude oh, oh, Lawler, I think. Have you the, the Claude? Claude is coming. Yeah. Yes, yeah. correct. Yeah. Uh, we have um, Orion, who are a group from Donegal. They're just after coming together. They sold out their concerts in Letterkenny uh, over the last. They, they were put together. Um, just four local lads. But they, I said I heard it from my friends in Donegal, mm. so they're joining me for the next three um, March parties. We're only doing five in total. We sold out in Killarney. Uh, we got a huge crowd in, in Castlebar. Um, Sharon Shannon is coming to join me in Galway. Brilliant. Yeah. And so it's, it's a mixture. Plus, by the way, Fran, hmm. uh, you know, we, we can, people can win prizes, like a holiday away, uh, like a hotel uh, nights away. They can win XL uh, stores, uh, hampers. XL have been very good to me uh, in the sense of when COVID arrived, I was down at home in West Clare, like all of us, isolating. And I said, God, I need to try and do something to help out. So I came up with the concept of Marty in the Shed, an Excel store 
support me. And when I came up with the Marty Patches, I said, sure, go on. We see what we see what comes out of it. Yeah. But we can win prizes. And the, the the big prize, we have a mystery guest, him or her. We filmed them uh, and we disguised his or her voice. Uh, and uh, we disguised their, their uh, face. And we show it on the night. And during the break, you can guess who it is. And if you guess it, the mystery guest will appear. And if you get it, get it right, then you might be picked out and you win two flights from Shannon Airport. I think it's Naples is the one we're going oh, to. Wouldn't that be lovely? Flight. Wouldn't that be so lovely? There's a real, it's a real mixed bag. That's and I'm very thankful to the people because we really are getting a huge crowd. There are limited tickets still available, which is a, it's a great compliment to be able to say that because, as I said, they didn't know what they were getting into. Um, yeah, but so it just goes to show the, the affection for you that's that's uh, out there. And again, we've been getting a notion of that uh, all week when we've been talking about the, the Marty party. I'm just wondering, I mean, you've done it all where broadcasting is concerned. Are, are you a little nervous, though, doing this? Because it's kind of different for you. No, I'm, no, I'm not really. I'm, I'm nervous about people not liking it. Mm. Um, I, I, I believe in, in I, I just think there was a void in the market as well. Mm. Uh, and I, I think we need to be em- embrace life um, because we never know what's happening. There's so much sadness out there now at the moment. And those are genuine concerns for me. And that's what was driving me. But sir, look, sir, you know me. I love the crack. Mm, of course. Uh, now, I'm, I'm not like you. You're a great singer. And I know you do great work with Muriel, my other friend, and uh, O'Connor. And uh, But I'm back in the chorus all the time. But I'm happy to be in the chorus. But I just love people who have able to sing and dance and contribute so much joy, not alone to themselves, but the people who who, who enjoy music. And we all love it. We're not sick where, where I was in. We love Of course music. we do, indeed. Um, you know, I was looking up this morning, and, you know, it, so, some of, and, and uh, sparing your blushes and all of this, but National mm. Treasure is down there, iconic broadcaster, Bay Magnet, all of this. I mean, do you live, do you have ease, do you live easily with all of this, Marty? Well, particularly Babe Magnus. <laughs> I, I put that out myself. <laughs> and we, then they see me on the TV and they say, no. Listen, no. will you tell us about that fantastic story? I think, was it Clonus where, where you, you were sort of, you, you were locked in the van because of the... Uh, oh, that was funny. The female uh, I was, attention, I was, yeah. uh, we were, At the time, we were doing the Marcy Squad, which was an, uh, an RT Radio 1 um, thing at 6 o'clock. So it was after the big matches. And again, it was involved people and community. Yeah. But we were both at the square in Clonus. And uh, everybody was gone. It was the Ulster final or something. And next thing we heard, that the, the OB van was rocking back and forth. And we were, we were inside live on air. And you know, the kind of the, there's a glass bubble at the very end yes. of the lorry. And the thing that next thing we saw a pair of legs and a pair of boots and another pair of legs. And they banged it on the window. We want Marty. And then they went up on the roof. And they climbed up the, you know, the, the ladder at the side. And uh, on a hen party. So the producer, uh, Barry... And you were live at this point, were you? We were live, and we started laughing because we couldn't help but laugh. (laughs) Because when you're inside and you see these pair of legs and then another pair of legs going up, and you're inside the van and you're trying to talk about Monaghan against Derry (laughs) in an Ulster final, eventually we gave up and we said, look, we're going to have to go outside and meet the hens at half, you know, at the break time. So they they were persuaded to come down off the van. And we went out and we had a bit of crap with them then. But yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. And I love hen parties ever since. I don't get invited too many times. <laughs> 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 no, don't put that out there. You, you, you won't be able to cope with the invitation. You, you mentioned uh, the sad loss of your mom. I was so sorry to hear that, uh, yeah. Marty. It, it, because you were so close to her, you had a very special relationship, didn't you? Uh, we had. She was just not just my mom, but she was, you know, my best friend. We 
I suppose when you're an only child of only children, yeah. you do rely. And I, I, while I don't have brothers and sisters, I have a, a wonderful circle of friends. But your mom is your mom, and like she was, she was a rebel. She was from uh, Donnerail in North Cork. Mm. And when my father, and uh, after he did his leaving cert in the late forties or whatever, um, he went to Mallow and got a job in the. He went teaching because he did everything. He was the brainy one in the family. He did everything off Grailgate. So they met. He was renting a room in Mallow, and he met this young hairdresser that was starting off. So they fell in love and headed to America. So when Dad died in 2004, it was just Mom and myself. Mm. And obviously, I was in Dublin, living in Dublin. But every Sunday night, if I had, to, I was always happy to do a match in Thurlis because I would go home then and spend Monday yes. at home and a bit of Tuesday with her and then go off again. But I've learned, you know, since, like, she was a great woman there, a very brave woman, because she was living alone. On, on the wide Atlantic Way, literally on the side of the road, mm. as you go from Milton Malbay to Kilrush or Kilkee. It's near Quilty there, is it? It is, yeah, yeah we're Quilty, yeah. 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 And she go to Mass every morning at quarter past nine in Bullock. And then if there was another Mass at ten, uh, she'd go there. Uh, she was deeply religious. Uh, and what I, I suppose I miss her company. The house is very empty now, and, uh, so I don't particularly like it in that sense. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I miss the phone calls. And, it was <laughs> and like, she was funny because... I might have done the All Ireland final or the Munster hurling final, that. Yes. And I ring home and I said, "Well, uh, well were you watching the match?" I was. Yeah, it was grand. That's all I get. <laughs> Wait, did you go? And then the next question was, "Did you buy a new jacket?" <laughs> I never saw that before. Yeah, it's all right. I don't like the color. You know, sort of. I miss my critical analyst. Right, but she must have been massively proud of you, though, and I'm sure uh, all the achievements. I thought, I thought, she was. So. Yeah, I mean, there was no. There was no fear of getting a big head. There was yeah. no such thing at all. What, what you know? did you mean? I mean, you, you, you take the lampooning of Marty Morrissey with, with uh, you know, great joy and you get great crack out of it. What did she make of it, though, Marty? Oh, sometimes she didn't like it. Did she not? Yeah. No, 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 yeah. no, no. You know, she was kind of, how dare they? And then I said, no, 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 they're, they're now friends of mine. Uh, yes. All of her, and they are. And um, I said, no, this is a great compliment, Bob, you know. Um, so she bought into it then after a while. She was glad. Did you she? Know? And she, she was yeah. okay with it then? She was, yeah. She was. Once I wasn't uh, offended or upset by it, I think she was happy to go with the laugh. Because she loved... And that was another thing, Fran, I suppose. I inherited the music, the, the love of music and dancing from my mother because she would she would waltz and foxtrot and jive the night away. Did she? And oh, she was still brilliant. doing that. And yeah. she was in her 90s and she'd go to a local thing in the hall in Muller and she'd be dancing there until... 12 or 1 o'clock. Love the music. Uh, isn't, it, isn't yeah. it great to happen? Yeah. What, what is, you know, again, I was looking through stuff this morning. Marty, you've done it all sort of where broadcasting is. What, what else is there for you to do? I mean, do you, do you have a look at the Late Late Show and say, I'd like to do that? Or is, is there something else that Marty wants no, to do? No, not really. No, no, no. I mean, um, I, uh, I mean, the Late Late is an institution and Ryan Chubb, does a fantastic job. No, I no ambitions. I'm kind of following my own journey. Mm. And I, to be fair to RT, they've been very good to me. They allow me to do these things, you know. Yes. Um, well, it's in their interest, of course. Yeah, 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 it is. But to be fair, they do trust me and, and vice versa. Yeah. Um, and they are they are good employers and they're, they're decent to me uh, because they allow me to do other things like the Martin Party or the Bank Holiday Monday radio show, which I love. Like you, mm. Fran, I love radio. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think radio is a far better medium than TV. Oh, me too, because, man, I'm sure. Because yeah. in TV... It's all about how you look and yeah, what you're yeah. wearing. Not all the time. I'm I'm generalising, mm. but you know what I mean. So um, yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, do I, no. I don't have. I wanted to do this um, and see if my 
idea of, I suppose, A, the concept, and B, thanks be to God, the reaction I get myself uh, would work in a show. And, you know, I just, I just like, I enjoy the people, and uh, I enjoy being out there and having the crack. And it, it is a different... It is different to sport, which is my primary mm. passion, obviously. Mm. But I still love music, and so this was something I wanted to do. Of course, and the buzz, buzz off a live, live audience is, uh, you know, absolutely you massive. Know. I always thought, and you know, it came up in a conversation a couple of years ago here when we were talking about hosts of uh, the Rose of Trelly over the years. A lot of people thought that you should be doing uh, the Rose <laughs> of Trelly. Is, is that something you'd like to do, for example? No, no, well, uh, not at all. No, 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 not at no. all. Because again, no, I, I, I have no ambitions doing that. I would oh, Kind of a, no, I mean, um, Grant, I mean, but Dahi O'Shea, again, does a fantastic job. I mean, yeah, it's huge. Yeah. And Dahi is um, an iconic figure, and sure, he's a friend of mine. I mean, he's brilliant. Um, but, no, I mean, I am involved. Uh, did you ask me to do um, various venues? Yeah. And last year I did Kildare, and I did Wexford finals. I was down to do the Dublin finals, but um, there was a match on, and then that was the end of that. Um so no, I mean, and I was very proud to be MC at the Rose Ball, which came back last year. Yes, which was a huge success. So I'm, I'm, I'm there on the periphery, if I can put it like that. Right. But uh, no, it's Donny's gig. You know the way it, it works, man. That's Brian Chubbity does lately. Donny does the, the Rose Ball. That's fine. Uh, I think they're brilliant at and their ideas for it. But I do my own. All right, but it's, it's nice to journey. know. Uh, I'm sure it's nice for you to know that people would like to see you doing things, these things, oh, or, or they would imagine you doing them, which is even better. Do you which know what I mean? Better. Oh, it's a great compliment. Yeah, no, yeah. No, so. yeah. And look, uh, you know, who knows? But uh, uh, no, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of doing my own thing, and I'm, I'm, in, I'm enjoying doing my own thing. And, and it's, cert- nice it's certainly working very well for you. Um, there may be some tickets left for Friday night, uh, Marty. How, how do people go about uh, getting hold of them? Get in contact with UCH, um, University Concert Hall in Limerick. Uh, the show will start at 8 o'clock. Um, as I said, you'll have, you'll have a great crack. Bernard O'Shea is with me as well, and we, we, actually, we, we meet people in amongst the crowd, and oh, we, do a, we do a bit of, bit of crack. And uh, I promise everybody I'll have them home for Mass at 11 o'clock <laughs> on Sunday. <laughs> it's uch.ie, by the way. If you want to go on there, and if you stick in Marty Party, uh, I believe you will get hold of tickets there. And I don't have the number for UCH, unfortunately, but if you ring them, they, they do it over the phone as well, so it's both. No problem at all. Look, and have a, love, have a as ball. As a chairman, I'd love to see the temporary clothes turn out. We could have a bit of slagging about the Munster early temperature. I have a funny feeling you'll see a fair <laughs> amount of temporary people. Marty, you look after yourself. I'm very best of luck to you. Real pleasure. Thank Thanks, you, Marty. Lovely. Thank you. Thank bye you for having me on your show. You're welcome you anytime. Thank you. Bye-bye. You know, that's Marty Morrissey speaking to us about the Marty Party, which is happening on this coming Friday. All right, we'll take a break. We have gardening coming up in just a moment. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Margaret O'Mara from Churchilla in Thurless winning our tickets to the Marty's party today. And uh, yesterday, I didn't announce it, but Eileen Gaynor was the winner yesterday and Eileen is from uh, Kilroan. Well done to you on that, Eileen. Time for gardening now. Glad to be joined by Alton Nesbeth of Centenary Home and Garden. Good morning to you, Alton. Good morning, Fran. It's getting very cold and I think for the next few days we could even expect snow. We need to 
take that into account, I suppose, Alton, with the garden. Uh, yeah, yeah, especially with any of your tender plants. Yeah. Uh, so especially if you're planting out a lot of vegetable plants, you've seen, seen plants out now, like things like your brassicas, or even your onion sets and, and, and shallots and things like that. If it, if it does go below minus five, I would just put um, a frost fleece over them. Uh, and this will protect them from any, any frost damage. Uh, or even things like, don't you your lovely camellias, um, or, or even your pears far flame um, is to, to kind of drape just over um, a phosphate over those even your hydrangeas as well mm. just to protect them from any 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 severe frost but I mean I have to say it hasn't been that cold really for any damage yet um, so but uh, if it is forecast in the next couple of days um, I would put a, uh, a fleece over things just to, to protect any flower buds that may be coming on. Trees uh, coming into colour this time of yeah, year? Yeah, this, this, this is um, a fabulous time of year to, to um, uh, have lovely trees that have good, good colour and that give a great display um, in the garden. I always find trees probably really to, that, that they almost um, frame the garden. Um, so it's very important to have, have um, lovely trees that either do a focal point to draw the eye down or to even good, good colour or balance uh, within the garden. So I like things like, um, uh, what's flowering now at the moment is the lovely purple plum. And that's a, a thing called Prunus Bifardia nigra. It's, it's lovely purple foliage that comes out in it. But you'll see this lovely, um, almost a bright pink flower, um, and it opens up fully then to white. Um, but there are massive, massive blooms on that now at the moment. And it's giving a great display uh, uh, at this time of the year. Um, and I think it's one of the nicest trees as well, because I mean, even um, once the flowers are gone off it, this, this deep purple foliage comes on then um, right through the whole summer. So it's quite a nice um, small tree, not a, not a large one, only goes to about 12 to 15 feet high, but nice neat round head, head to it as well, uh, and quite an easy tree to grow. But there's other trees then that would be coming, that would be showstoppers. Mm. Uh, and these, these are the things that are the, the cherry trees, of course. You often see like in Japan or China, they have these lovely cherry trees um, uh, avenues. Um, and um, the apple, the, the, the cherry blossom, um, it's almost like confetti. And that, that, that's when, when, the, when the flower petals They're really come beautiful, off. aren't they? Mm. Yeah, they really are mm. beautiful. And, and there's lovely shapes to them as well. Um, there's a few different varieties that I particularly like. I like uh, there's one called Prunus amagaria, which is lovely, almost like a pillar-type um, uh, cherry tree. And that's quite, quite good for a small garden. So, I mean, it only grows up, up, up like a pillar. If you have, let's say, an ugly-looking telephone pole or something like that in, in the middle of your garden, put um, a, a prunus amagaria in front of that. It would soften it, and, and you don't even see the telephone pole or anything like that. Um, prunus canzans is, their, of course, the, the most popular one, really. That's the one that the double pink flowers mm. that you, you have in that. And that, that grows quite large, actually, uh, 15 to 20 foot high. But quite a nice large, large um, cherry tree. But I also like is the, um, the Cherite. Cherite is a lovely tabletop cherry. And this is the double white flowers um, on it. Again, not for, um, you can grow this in, in smaller gardens. Because this only grows to about 12 foot high, it has this lovely flat top to it, almost like a tabletop cherry. Um, and um, it's fantastic to have um, that's near your patio area or that, so you can sit underneath it um, and it has that lovely, lovely uh, tabletop shape to it. But a mass of flowers out of it uh, come in the next couple of weeks and you'll have, have um, great colour from them. Again, there's other trees then that are very good for pollination uh, as well as, uh, and good for the bees as well, yes. are, the, are the malice trees. These are the flowering crab trees. And I love these because... Um, uh, they'll have the massive flowers now at this time of the year and then in the autumn time they'll have the lovely uh, cherry the, almost like the little uh, apples 
on them, almost like a crab apple on them. And there's one called uh, uh, John Downey, which is a red one, or there's that golden hornish, which is lovely golden fruit sulphur as well, which is particularly nice. But these trees are very good to plant in your, your orchard as well. They're very good for pollination um, of apple trees. So if you have um, a, a, an orchard or that, um, plant um, a, a malice tree, a, a flowering crab um, in, in the middle of it, and that will help to pollinate the rest of the fruit trees as well. So they're very good. They're long uh, uh, flowering, really. There's a lovely one called Profusion, which is lovely, deep, um, almost purpley pink flowers from it. Um, and that's particularly nice as well. It's quite showy as well um, in the garden. Um, another lovely tree, if you if you if you don't mind, is, is a thing called um, Amelanchire, and Amelanchire is a snowy mescalous tree. This has some um, almost creamy white flowers out of it as well. Fantastic for a small garden, or even if you have a large pot, a large container, uh, you could have it on your patio as well. It's particularly nice. Amelanchires have a great um, autumn colour from them as well, almost like a burnt orange colour. Almost like, don't you know, you often see those the Canadian wood um, with the autumn colours uh, to, to the trees. Um, the amelanchier is fantastic for that kind of burnt orange colour in the autumn time, but the magnificent flowers at this time of the year as well, that yeah. creamy white flowers. There's an awful lot of choice there in what you've been saying. There's, Sometimes we just stick to the same thing all of the time. Really. Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, there's such a wide variety yeah. and, and, and they're all quite easy to grow. Um, and they're, they're quite hardy as well. And another one then, um, what I particularly like, and, 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 and uh, what people say for the fairies, the fairy trees, it's um, uh, very good, it's the um, white thorn. Um, and the white thorn is fantastic, um, compact uh, uh, tree as well. Um, but also, you can get one called um, uh, uh, Paul Scarlet, which is lovely deep pink to red flowers off it as well. And that's, they're particularly hardy trees in the very exposed areas. You often find them uh, growing in the west of mm. Ireland and that kind of windswept look from them. But they're, they're fantastic, hardy little trees that grow quite quite well and um, don't grow too big either. Right, so, so some great ideas there. Um, just a, a few questions for you, if you don't mind. Um, Beanie is in Ross Gray. He says, the best time to plant a big six-foot cherry blossom tree in large pots at the moment. Um, so I suppose you're talking about a replant, is it? Yeah, if you're, if you're uh, planting large cherry trees in, in, in containers, it's very important to use a soil-based compost. So I always, I, it's, it's important to put in um, a, a, a multi-purpose of added John Innes. This is a great compost um, that, that is like really for final potting. So the, the, the compost never dries out too much, especially for large, large um, trees or anything like that. It, it, it's quite good because um, it, it doesn't dry out or, and it conserves um, the moisture in, in the soil as well. And, see, and if it does dry out, you, it, it, it re-wets quite quickly for you. If you just use an ordinary peat compost, it tends to dry out too much. So use a, 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 a multipurpose with added Johnny's and use it mixing into the compost as well, a slow-release fertilizer. Something like the Osmocote or tree, tree or shrub fertilizer is quite good. Right, but will that bloom if he replants at this point? Uh, it will. Um, because okay. the, yeah, as long, long as you do as little disturbance to the root system as possible, so transplant the, uh, 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 the day that you're lifting it out of the container to, to repot it, right. um, transplant it straight away and water it well and always use rainwater as much as possible um, with any of the cherry trees. Um, it just just, uh, uh, it just helps to right with the soil um, and gives them a much better start as well. Somebody wondering about sowing wildflower seeds at this point as well. Yeah, I love um, wildflower mixes, mm. um, and and the, we do the Flora Nova flower mixes, and and the bee 
friendly ones as well, which are quite good, uh, and also for the birds as well. So, so there's um, there's different varieties, of, different types uh, mm. of wildflower mixes that you can get. There's the meadow mixes that are quite good. They're they're quite tall. Um, you'd have a lot of cosmos in those and, and um, uh, uh, calendulas and, and, and lupins and things like that that go up to about uh, three foot high um, or even up to four foot, uh, depending on, on, on the, the uh, how exposed it is. Now, and, and they're quite easy, easy to sow now. Now, mm. what I would, would tend to do is prepare the soil first of all, or the ground area first, and try and get rid of as much um, weeds there as possible and rake over the ground um, so it's, it's quite clean. And then, with your, your uh, uh, wildflower mixes. Now, you can get lovely dwarf mixes as well, more alpine mixes, which are great for the front of borders or even and if, if you have very um, rocky soil, um, they're, they're, they're quite good to use as well because they're, they, they're quite hardy plants um, and they're perennial mm-hmm. as well. Uh, I must leave it there, Alton, but thank you so much for your time today and happy gardening to you. That's Alton Nesbitt there, Centenary Home and Garden. That's it from me. Emma produced to Ali, looks after her content. Stephen is on the way and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Look after yourselves, won't you? Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.